Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Two Idiots Podcast. I'm Reg. And I'm Randy. And this episode is brought to you in part by Stonebridge Auto, Steinbeck's newest pre-owned car dealership. They're located on the corner of Stonebridge Crossing and Highway 12 in Steinbeck, Manitoba. These guys have one of the biggest selections of used cars, trucks, SUVs in the area. They're pretty new. They take good care of their customers. They got a 4.8 rating on Google (laughs) out of five, which is impressive. I would think so, yeah. And not everybody goes 11 years between buying cars, like me. So (laughs) be sure to check them out. They also offer a full-service shop with competitive, a very competitive shop rate. So you don't got to break your wallet when you're going in for a service. Exactly right. Again, my car could probably use that too. (laughs) Mine Uh, as well. Uh, so thanks to them, they're offering two idiots listeners five dollars off any oil change if you mention the podcast at the time of bank. So yeah, go find them, help them out. It's a hell of a deal. Are you gonna get five bucks off an oil change anywhere else exactly. just for listening to us? Exactly. Nobody gives you that good of a deal. Nobody. So, go check them out, folks. Uh, that's Stonebridge Auto, Steinbeck, Manitoba. Check them out. This episode is also brought to you by Cat Weeb over at Sandals Day Spa and Hair in Steinbeck. Our more sharp-eared listeners will know that that is my wife, but I believe I'm being impartial when I say that she is one of the best estheticians in the city, possibly the province, maybe the world, we're not sure. But she is offering an exclusive deal to two idiots listeners. Uh, For those of you that call in and book a pedicure, a facial, or a waxing service with her, and mention that you heard the ad on the Two Idiots podcast, she will give you an additional $15 worth of add-ons to your service, just for listening to us. So, find her at Sandals Day Spa and Hair in Steinbeck, Manitoba. Call and ask for Cat. Mention the Two Idiots. Uh, their phone number is 204-320-2777. That's Ask for Cat. Mention the Two Idiots. Get yourself an extra 15 bucks on whatever pampering service that you need. Make sure you act fast because spots are limited. She's booking up quick. So get in there, folks. Go get some. This episode is also brought to you by the dash two dash idiots dash podcast dot myshopify.com. Which Buy is our stuff. Quite a mouthful. But uh, yeah, we got some stuff up there. Two idiots merch, a couple of mugs, some shirts, a toque. Um, kind of feeling it out. And joining us this week is one of my favorite people, um, Mr. Mark Reimer. Welcome here. Thank you. That's a wonderful introduction. I love it when I hear things like that. <laughs> Whether they're true or not. <laughs> exactly. Who needs truth? Yeah. We have, we've just finished one election and we have another one coming. Yeah. What's truth got to do with anything? Truth is overrated. Very much so. <laughs> Especially in politics. <laughs> now, speaking of truth, I have to duck out for this episode. I have to take over some uh, daddy duties as my wife has an ailing back. <laughs> so I will leave it to you two. I know I'm in capable hands here. Everyone comes to the show for Reg anyway, let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll miss you, Randy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Somebody will. But uh, yeah, goodbye, listeners. I might pop in sporadically. We'll see. We'll see you later then. See you later. Wonderful. All right. Well, now that Randy's gone, (laughs) now we can talk about important things. (laughs) So, Mark, um, like I already said, welcome here. Um, we've, We've had many long discussions, but this is the first one with mics in our faces, so... We'll see how that goes, what kind of dynamic that is. Uh, I'm curious. Um, tell me the story of Mark. What makes you you? Wow. <laughs> as, well, as broad <laughs> and vague as that question is. Well, being a social constructivist in my ideology, I believe that I am a construct of an awful lot of social factors that have played into my surroundings. And uh, because I actually believe that we as individuals still have some agency and choice in our own lives, then uh, I've chosen my reactions and responses to certain things. So some of the big players, some of the big influences in my life, I am the son of 
a preacher, uh, the son of a missionary family. I am part of a blended family. I am uh, 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 someone who thought I was being very original. When at age 10, I decided to become a teacher uh, (laughs) after having read one particular book, only to realize later in my life that of the 11 kids in my family and the two parents of the 13 people in my family, uh, nine or 10 were educators of one sort or another at one time or another. And I think that's just what you had to do if you were part of our family. I guess. It's a weirdly genetic thing. Yeah, exactly. If you're in this family, this is what you will do. You (laughs) will be somehow involved in schools or or education of some sort. Um, So religion played a huge role in my my early years and arguably still does, although in a fairly evolved form from where I began. Um, The example of my parents is something that I still adhere to in, in huge ways. So as a for instance, I was just involved in a brief uh, interaction with uh, a couple of people in which I mentioned one of the things, one of the best things that I, I feel that my dad left me is the idea of pushing at the edges of the envelope, never accept the status quo. Uh, and, and he did that initially in, in, the, in the religious world. And I, at this point, very specifically or deliberately using the word religious rather than spiritual. Okay. Um, in the religious world, he was part of a very conservative church and he didn't accept the the regiments and the dogmas of that church and said, this is it, you, you as the church say this, therefore I will just simply kowtow uh, to what you say. But he pushed on the edges of, of that world. Which is a rarity even now in some in some sects. It is. It's, it's so much easier for many people to just say, oh, you, the preacher says or the church says, therefore <laughs> yeah. I must. Mm-hmm. And my dad's example was very different in saying, well, this is what the church says, and but we don't ever stop looking for truth. And as we encounter more truth and we learn more, then we incorporate that because there can be no truth that is against the truth. And uh, <laughs> Capital and T. The capital T <laughs> truth, exactly. There's, there is no small t truth that in any way can violate or compromise capital T truth. And in no way can the capital T truth ever overrule or override small t truth. It's all one and the same. Interesting. And so I didn't grow up feeling that there was a conflict between science and faith like so many people who have issues with truth seem to. <laughs> we can dig in on that a little bit more after, but anyway. Sure. Um, and so that was, that was I would say, what was my dad's legacy that, that I can identify quickly. Uh, for my mom, she was uh, she loved kids. She was magic with kids. Uh, she uh, was a storyteller. She was just amazing in the way she interacted with people, and and not only with kids. She she spent her life until she lost capacity in her late seventies or early eighties um, to host, and she would very deliberately look for marginalized people, as I did for you, Rich. That's uh, <laughs> why. <laughs> and so she she her. Her door was open and, and her home was welcome to everybody. And that has set an incredible example for me and influenced my my thinking, my social thinking, who I want to be and how I want to be engaged in the world around me. I do believe in, uh, in the equality of all. I don't think there's any one person or group of people that have it more right or more better or in some way superior to anybody else. That's probably... How it should be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think so. How do you think I, your parents would be um, if they were alive today? Kind of the way, I don't know, quote unquote, the world is going or the world has changed. How, how do you think they'd be? 
my dad wasn't afraid of the world and and the the change in it because he himself was a part of a changing world and and he uh, initiated change and pushed for change and so change didn't didn't scare him he welcomed that and and lived with that my mom was a bit different she was certainly more afraid of change she she had been taught what the truth was and so if you've got the truth why would you change it and so <laughs> as society would, was changing around her there certainly there certainly were fears that she had about what the world was beginning to look like and how different it was from what she hoped it would be. Uh, but that said, I'd say that's where the biggest gap came between what she articulated as her worldview and the reality. Because even as the world changed around her and, and society was saying, these are the right people, these are the people who should we should be welcoming, these are the people whom we should be rejecting, she didn't. <laughs> she welcomed everyone. Yeah. Uh, she opened her door to everyone. And so even though she, her dogmas would have said, yeah, there are people who are sinners and they're worse <laughs> sinners than, than others, she didn't treat anyone that way. Yeah. And and so I think that she, perhaps like everyone, had a bit of a complicated life and, and story in that. Uh, I mean, who does live consistently? <laughs> who's, who's, uh, whose walk matches their talk? And, and so uh, she didn't. I don't remember her actively condemning anyone. She was very fearful of others, of people who didn't have the right faith of where they would end up. Of course. Uh, but she certainly treated everyone. Which is like backward altruism or something. Or <laughs> Exactly, yeah. 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 So those were big factors. And then, and then education. I grew up in a home of educators, and, and uh, <laughs> so I became a teacher. And, and uh, initially, that's all I wanted to do, is I just wanted to be a teacher. I didn't care whether or not I knew anything about teaching. <laughs> Isn't that the standard? It's, <laughs> and boy, I, I still cringe and, and blush in embarrassment when I think back to some of the things that I did early, earlier on in my career as a teacher. I think I always liked students. I always brought that with me, but I didn't always know how to use that or know what to do um, with that. That's fair. I think that I didn't always treat all students the same because I was so anxious as I said looking for the underdogs or somebody uh, that I didn't pay enough attention to the entire class that's fair I think that changed uh, over time you just stopped uh, paying attention to the whole class the whole class oh, yeah. as a teacher after all <laughs> 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 I, I think and it was actually uh, it was one very specific student uh, and my experiences when I when I came back from from Iowa I spent two years studying in Iowa and when I came back from that I suddenly realized that man, my world is pretty wealthy and white. <laughs> and I don't know anybody who's different from who I am. And if I speak about being open and, and willing to engage with others, where's the evidence? Yeah. And I remember that particular year I had a student uh, who came from a different country, a different world. And so I thought, okay, so, and, and so English was his, oh man, I don't think it was his second, it was his third or fourth language. And, <laughs> and and so in thinking, so what do I do for this person? I really started pushing at my own edges of what it meant to teach. Now, I'd been studying teaching, so I, I also, I think that played into me becoming a better teacher. <laughs> I hope so. But, uh, but with this, this particular student, I became very cognizant of what can I do to, to give clearer instructions, to make, to try to communicate what is going on or what should be going on, what I think should be going on in this class, and how do I make it accessible for that particular student? That focused energy and concentration, I think, had benefits for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I became a much better teacher for all my students. So what, what year would that have been? Uh, what year were you in grade 10? 05. 
uh, year. Ah, okay, okay. Now yeah. I'm trying to think of that class. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, or the 04. I, I came back from Iowa in 04, so I was back at the SR in, in, uh, in 2004. Okay. And it was that year. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, so it, it's that played a huge part. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting. My pleasure reading, when I go to the beach <laughs> with my stack of books to read, uh, half my books are theology and the other half are learning theory. And, <laughs> and people are like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to the beach. Yeah, but like, with what? To learn something? Why are you reading that stuff? Because well, that's what interests me. I, yeah. I'm, um, I'm a theology buff. Uh, I'm, I've, I try to read as widely as I can uh, in, an, in the world of theology uh, because I come from a very religious family. I come from, lived in a very religious town. And uh, religiosity is something that probably more frightens me than anything else. <laughs> uh, and so I, but I want to understand the people who, with whom I live. Sure. And so I, I want to, if there are people who believe the world was created in six 24 hour days, 6,000 <laughs> years ago, I want to know why they're thinking that. Where does that idea possibly come from? Because it's reasonable and sound and logical. Come on, Mark. Well, exactly. For anyone who can read, the Bible says, <laughs> the King James Bible says, yeah. in the first day, and who doesn't know that a day is 24 hours? Obviously. Uh, clearly. <laughs> I remember, in fact, it was some considerable shock when I was in grade seven. Uh, my grade seven science teacher mentioned that not everybody thought that the, when the Bible said uh, in the first day that that day equaled 24 hours, that yeah. possibly that was a period yeah. of time as opposed to 24 hours. Isn't that based something on the translation that they use to translate today or whatever in, in some original te- text? I, I'm not sure. The, in the, the original languages, there was absolutely no mention of a day. Yeah. It was an era, in the first era. Yeah, um, but we don't like that because we we've grown up with the King James Bible and it's a day, and now we now we think day. And it's far too vague. <laughs> exactly, and in, and in, it was in the 1850s when a British minister discovered that uh, with the interest that Darwin was generating with his conversations, that he should be a counter, uh, he should provide something counter to that. So he dated back by reading the Bible, dated back the creation date to sometime in October, six thousand twenty seven <laughs> years ago. So of course that had to be true. Yeah. And because math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and it clearly says day and, yeah, and, yeah. and you can track all the genealogies that exist. And so <laughs> those sorts of things are intriguing to me. And and also because my doctoral studies include reading theory, I actually <laughs> look at how do people read and how do you make meaning of texts? Yeah. And how do you find texts? And so for me, I say the biggest fear is people who aren't actually willing to read. Yeah. Uh, and to understand how to make meaning. Uh, they're not willing uh to actually look at who who wrote this text, any text for that matter, whether yeah. it's holy, sacred, or otherwise. In particular, and, those, but but especially yeah. those, because that's when you start deifying and saying God says, you know, yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty powerful. Especially or, when you use that term for things that may or may not actually have been written in any text. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And and so uh, that's I've I've read uh, across the spectrum of of uh, and not just Christendom, but across the spectrum of religions, because religion fascinates me sure why uh, sociology fascinates me why do people live the way they do anthropology anything like that yeah, yeah. exactly and, and, and how do you figure out where you are so that books have been a, a huge player in my life and, and continue to be sure. so those those are some of the big things and then and then i guess the, the final thing i would mention is in terms of what's made me me is uh, <laughs> the good fortune of of um of happenstance and meeting people <laughs> uh, i've had uh, i've been 
beyond lucky in the number of people that, that I've encountered and who've become um, significant players in my life, including the fact that I'm sitting here and talking with you, <laughs> a former student. And, yeah, and you're that not, hardly counts. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not even the only former student no, 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 uh, no. With, with whom I, I'm still connected, with whom I interact. Which is glowing praise for your teaching career, which we should clarify, you're now a retired uh, English teacher. I guess, do we have to specify? A teacher, English, yeah. whatever, it doesn't I'm matter. Retired, yeah. yeah, but you're definitely retired, which is great. Um, but yeah, that, that that definitely gives, that paints you in a very bright brush that most people have favorite teachers or they remember teachers from, from their youth or whatever, but very few continue to interact with them in, in any level when they're adults. So you kind of you might see them at a grocery store or something. Ah, you look familiar, <laughs> Mrs. Whatever or <laughs> Mr. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm... I'm happy that we're still friends, and I me too. I bought your house, and we interact yeah. regularly. And <laughs> exactly, and you bought my house, and you still interact with me. <laughs> That's a good. Sign oh, it too. was tough. It was tough. No, <laughs> but um, of of all those points, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's partly probably why we we continue to connect because thanks to you, I think one of the first classes I had with you, if it wasn't English, it was Christian ethics, which. Was that a requirement? Did no. I did I take that as an elective? You took that as an elective, uh, yeah. It was, okay. it was never a requirement. Yeah, because I remember going in there with my... Because growing up in rural, rural. If Steinbeck's not rural, then I was more rural than that. Um, coming in with a very uh, basic, if you can even call it that, understanding of religion in general, kind of whatever the dogmas and, and teachings of, of our church would, would have said. So that, that class blew my mind. So... Uh, you're spiritual or, or religious. Uh, I'm not sure what the connotation, but um, based on that class, that in some way led me to not believing. So I, I thank you, <laughs> which may be a backhanded compliment, but it, it, at the very least, it opened up my mind to to at least explore, right? Because until then, I was 15 years old and didn't know any, like I didn't realize there were all these different versions of Christianity or Bible or um, so, and then our connection on reading and you've lent me however many books and, <laughs> and I probably still have a whole bunch of them, but, um, no, I, th- I think that's powerful. Um, especially around here. Um, I- I'm curious though, you've told me before that you don't necessarily subscribe or prescribe, um, holiness to text or whatever. O- on what do you base your faith? Which again is another big question after we spent 15 minutes talking about <laughs> what makes you, you, but, uh, you know, kind of in, in, I don't know, um, quick thoughts. What, what, do, what do you think? Kind of, how does that how does that add up to you? For me, I simply my faith I think would be rooted on on the idea that um, there is something bigger than than me. There's sure. something bigger than you, and so the question is, what is that? Mm-hmm. And and I'm willing to say that there is a God, mm-hmm. a, a God force, a, go, a God something, uh, the mystery of God, Godness. Uh, I don't at this point in my life, need to be able to define God in order to be satisfied with accepting the idea that there is a God. Okay. I don't believe that God is a sentient being that is, you know, (laughs) the old grandpa with the white hair as Gary Larson portrayed him way too accurately for many people's perceptions. (laughs) Of course that's God. Yeah. (laughs) And holding the piano over top of someone, he's going to (laughs) cut strings and drop it on them and hurt them if they don't do the right thing. Yeah. Um, The, when I, when I first started reading a bit more broadly, than from the evangelical world from which I came mm-hmm. uh, and started realizing questions that people had and ideas that people had. I thought, what? Like, <laughs> how can they still be Christian? How can they How yeah. can they call themselves believers in a God if they say this? Because their God, God concepts simply were not 
what I had grown up with. I had similar thoughts. I remember and, when you would you would bring things up in class or something, and I'd be like, "Hold up, that doesn't jive. What are you talking about?" And and that for me was that was, you know, so all the language that I grew up with, the idea of salvation, redemption, transformation. I'm I'm a big fan of all those words, <laughs> I, but with probably slightly different meanings. I don't okay. know from how many things in life I need salvation. Okay. I I have a food addiction. <laughs> I have a, I I eat as a stress release, and that's not been a healthy choice or a way of living. And Likewise, so I need yeah. salvation from that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I need transformation. I need to rediscover my health. Uh, I grew up in a way, and I used to think certain things about certain types of people, and I needed redemption. I needed to change the way I thought. Sure. So all those words make an awful lot of sense to me. Okay. Uh, just. I don't see Jesus as the Savior who brings about all those things. Uh, um, okay. In the evangelical world, typically Jesus is attributed to be the Son of God, and and through His death on the cross, this propitiation of sin, like with the redemption, sacrificial blood, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And and so, uh, my meanings for those words would be very different than the traditional understanding from an evangelical world. As it turns out, they're not different from the world of Henry Now and Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr, who are Catholic theologians. Okay. They're not different uh, from the wor- uh, worlds of, uh, let's see, Robert Bell, uh, who comes from the he- uh, evangelical tradition. Um, you could have made all those the, names up, and I wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by all these topics, but I'm uh, terrible at, at, at getting it all in. But, but well, you, you pursue where your interests are, right? Sure. And, and, and for me, religion is an interest, yep. because I grew up in that religious world, and I, I have a number of siblings who speak about the religious abuse they encountered in our home and in our church. Oh, yeah, okay. And so I, I don't actually feel that I was abused religiously which is a different perspective from some of my siblings. Sure. And, and so that, that for me is a concern because it's not only my, some of my siblings that I've heard reference religious abuse. Are you able that, to expound on what they mean by religious abuse? Yeah, the, the, the beating over the head. You're going to go to hell. Oh, that stuff. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. phenomenally abusive. Yeah. Like, I mean, how it was about terrifying. Con- condemnation? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. If you don't believe exactly what I believe, yep. because what I believe is clearly right, <laughs> you're going to burn in hell forever. And yep. this God who demands that we love each other and treat each other kindly, he is going to burn your ass off. <laughs> because you're not believing the right way. The, right, the right thing. thing. Yeah. Exactly. I, had, I remember having like ex- existential, like, anxiety when I was, I don't know, probably in early teen because I was in a very conservative, um, not broad thinking church whatsoever. And I would ask questions or something, but in the back of my brain, I'd always feel a little bit guilty because I'm like, you know, you shouldn't even be bringing this up. And then I'd get the, well, just don't ask questions, you know, essentially. And then I'd be like, uh, so now I feel bad for asking. And I'm also not I didn't get the answer. <laughs> well, and, and that exactly, and that what is what my siblings would consider as abusive, and I sure. get that. Like I, I'm not interested in telling them. Oh no, 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 you weren't yeah. abused. On some but, level, I totally you, agree. Yeah, be, because I can relate, it's their story. Yeah, your perception is your reality. Sure. And if you feel you were abused by that language, then I get it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to convince you. No, 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 no. You weren't <laughs> abused. Let me know. Let me tell you because I know what your life was. Yeah. Well, no, that's silliness. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, I don't know how many students I've had conversations with and they say, I can't believe in God. And then, and, and then they explain why. And I say, well, I can't believe in that God either. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be an atheist. And said, okay, well, and, and go ahead. Go ahead. And that must be one. exactly my route um, then. That, that, be, that's because I'm not an atheist. Yeah. Uh, but I t- 
totally don't believe in the God that you just described. I totally don't believe in that God either. <laughs> yeah. And so it's weird how nuanced it is, right? When you're actually is. willing to think about it. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's one of the things like if there's to, to this day, Sam Harris, um, what's his name? Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens are sort of yeah. three pop atheists, uh, who, who, whose positioning doesn't mean anything to me. Like they're, to me, they're as ridiculous as all the televangelists as Billy Graham, who's n- <laughs> not usually used in the same breath, but he would be for me. Sure. Um, saying, well, I've got it right. Mm-hmm. So believe me, because I'm smarter than you. I'm more religious than you. I'm more righteous than you. I've got it right. And if you don't believe what I do, well, then first of all, you're dumb. And secondly, God's going to get you. <laughs> it's always the dumb thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Clearly, yeah. if you were intelligent, you'd see it my way. Yeah. And and so, of course, Dawkins, uh, Sam Hill, and, and Christopher Hitchens are very quick to say, well, there is no God. And when I read their stuff, the God that they're rejecting is absolutely the conservative, evangelical, right-wing, fundamentalist God concept. Yeah. Well, I totally reject that God concept too. <laughs> yeah. That God doesn't exist. Sure. Uh, and I've got no problem with saying that or fearing that. I don't <laughs> fear the fires of hell, no. which also don't exist, uh, <laughs> you know, as as the repercussion for for saying those things. Yeah. Uh, so it's... It, to me, it's, it's it's a bigger it's a bigger conversation in life, and that's why when someone tells me I'm an atheist, so what what so what do you think of that? Whatever, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. be, be, which, be what you got to be. Which I've always appreciated because you've you've often be, been one of the most religious people in my life. Um, and again, I don't mean anything negative by that, but um, yet I've never felt judged for the fact that I'm not right. Um, we can have open discussions about it and it's never been an issue, which is what I appreciate and I think is important and more people should do that. Um, but, I, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where some people you can't bring it up whatsoever and most people you can't bring it oh, up. It, it, which, is, which is too bad for <laughs> yeah. me. Especially because on occasion I still want to identify as Christian. I know that in today's I was world ask that's you, such, a, yeah. such a nasty thing and, and I, I know there's no shortage of people who are very quick to, to tell me I'm not Christian because I don't believe the right things. Sure. And and that for me is also part of this. If if being Christian requires a belief in the right things, then actually I don't think there are any Christians. Uh-huh. Uh, be, yeah. Because... Them's fighting words. <laughs> well, there never, never has been a common no. body of belief. Yeah. Uh, from the earliest days of the Christian Moses, quote unquote, church. Noah, whoever yeah. those stories yeah. of ancient were, they don't believe what we did. No. Jesus wasn't around, first of all, for them to believe in. Yeah. So if you needed to believe in Jesus and accept Jesus to be saved, well, they're all, everyone before 2,000 years ago was doomed. So that's <laughs> that sucks to be them. Yeah. Uh, evangelicalism, it was in the, again, it was in the 1850s when they came up, came up with this simply the Nicodemus born again concept. You have to be born again to, to be a Christian. Well, being born again is one of 37 ways that Jesus alone or himself identifies as the path to salvation in the oh, New yeah. Testament. Yeah. So why, why, for example, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Yeah. Why did that not catch on <laughs> as the path to salvation? It's way less fun. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I got lots of stuff. I have no interest in yeah. selling all my stuff and giving it away and following you. <laughs> That's why the Vatican is totally conflicting to me. Like it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, and when I walk into any uh, Catholic or, or even Anglican or any type of big, massive religious structure, it's it's awe inspiring. But at the same time, I'm just like, 
why? Like you, you read a couple of passages in your own book and it tells you you don't, shouldn't have any of this. And, and then when you think about the colonizing imperialism that yeah. that re- actually represents and yeah. the, the backs of slave labor that Stealing were used to, to, to put yep. that up mm-hmm. is horrifying. And it, like, like you say, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time in South America now yeah. and, and, and so I walk into these cathedrals built in the mid to late 1500s, early 1600s and at first glance, I think, wow, this is beautiful. And then I remember, oh, yeah, this is really horrible. Yeah. This is the worst thing that ever happened to people in South America. Yeah. Uh, because not only did these big churches come and require their slave labor and gift of blood as well as gold <laughs> yeah. uh, to, in order to be built, but then the Inquisition came along and killed anyone who didn't believe they the way they did. Is that why many of those countries are as still firmly... Uh, kind of stuck in those beliefs as they were. I, I'm curious. I, I've often wondered because many places like that are often poor and and dejected and destroyed in in certain ways are are many of the most like vehemently either Catholic or just you know Christian in general countries. In, in the Christian, sure, but in, in in Asia they're the most vehemently Buddhist, and in India sure. the most vehemently uh, Hindu. Yeah, okay. yeah. The most vehemently religious, I think, is is goes hand in glove with with poverty uh, uh, yeah. because for a, a lot of people. Um, the this promise of the hereafter. If you do this right, mm. then God will reward you in heaven, and, and there will be one of my mum's most common lines: "There will be no more tears in heaven." Uh, and and that for her was was what gave her hope to continue to live. That makes because sense. it wasn't about this life. And when I think about my friends in Latin America now, the um, it's a to me it, it seems so much of it is, is a faith of resignation. Yeah. Life or here just, is brutal yeah. and it's really tough. But and it's always been. It's and, always yeah. But God's got us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long as we believe in God, God's going to take us out of this uh-huh. at our death. And we're going to, in heaven, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And so we can't expect to be fine here as well as in heaven. Wow. And and that to me is is sad. It's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. It really is. And <laughs> yeah. I think if that's what religion brought you, and unfortunately that's, uh, if you read about the history of the, the Catholic Church, which was part of the imperializing and the conquistadors and the, the whole missionizing efforts, that was the God concept that was brought. Yeah. Uh, and, Is that and the book that you lent me? The yeah, other the, Spanish Christ? The other Spanish Christ. And then if you want the version, that which examines the, the Catholic Church in Spain in the 15 and 1600s, and in the Demons of Loudon, uh, looks at the Catholic Church in France <laughs> at the same time, and it's the same church. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the description of those churches is exactly... Uh, apropos for the evangelical church of more so United States than Canada right now and hopefully the Canadian evangelical church will stop trying to follow its southern neighbor's path I, don't, I, I doubt it um, I don't know it, it, uh, power is, a, is, is appealing is yeah. a drug power and wealth are are, are are way more powerful and destructive drugs than than meth or, or fentanyl <laughs> yeah unfortunately absolutely uh, and and much more readily available even yeah. than those sure uh, and, and very appealing uh, once you Taste the sweet nectar of wealth. Like, Whoa! <laughs> yeah. yeah, and power. Think of what I can do and say. Man, and get I got to get me some of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who doesn't aspire to it? Yeah. And so, if you actually have no chance or hope of getting it, then you aspire for it in your next life. God uh, in heaven, streets of gold. Whoa! Wow! Yeah. How cool is that? How wealthy is that? I'm gonna have a mansion made for me. Yeah. Wow! Or whatever I'm told. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Like it's gonna be good there. Yeah. So all I got to do is get there. Sure. Now, when you go from one country to another, even through Latin America, the um, pagan mythologies and religions have all been incorporated been into, yeah. in, into their 
present like day half, churches. Half of our religious holidays are based on, <laughs> you know, old Roman or oh, or Celtic or or completely. Yeah. And, and and there's nothing new with with Latin American mythologies yeah. being co opted by the church. That's always been ever ever since. Um, uh, what's his name? Constantine like made uh, Christianity the church of uh, the state religion. As soon as, as as soon as any religion becomes a state religion, you've got nothing but trouble, and it actually ceases to be religion. It yeah. now ceases. To, now it's a government it office. Be, it is completely a government <laughs> yeah. office, and it's government control. Especially when oh, when the Holy Roman Emperor, you know, the empire like what by the church, is Holy Roman yeah. Emperor. <laughs> A great one is yeah. what it is. I think I might give myself that title. <laughs> it's open, isn't it? Well, you know, and, 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 and the interesting thing is that most of the titles that were attributed to Jesus, part of the reason that they were problematic is those were all the same titles that were given to the Holy Roman Emperor, <laughs> to the em- Emperor of Rome. And that's why Jesus was this rebel who had to be killed uh, for political reasons, not for salvific reasons. Yeah, he, It was because uh, his followers were usurping titles that were unique to the Caesar. Yeah, you can't call Jesus that. That's well, the Caesar title. So now you're yeah. this rebel. Hence, the same way the misappropriation or misunderstanding or the not the lack of willingness to understand the title that gets hammered onto the cross above Jesus, the King of the Jews. Well, no, Caesar was the King of the Jews. Yeah, yeah. And so with this guy being called King of the Jews, a lot of people who aren't aware of history or don't want to read or know stuff. <laughs> Aren't aware of why that title was even there, or just assume. Well, the church said this is a king of the Jews, so yeah, okay, they nailed it up. Well, it was it was mocking, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and and it wasn't mocking; it was the accusation. Oh, you don't get okay, to be yeah. this guy. We have that. We have the king yeah, of the yeah. Jews. We are the king of the Jews is in place. I'm talking. I thought it might be implying that, like, oh, look here, here's your quote unquote king of the Jews. Look at him hang here. Right? That, that's know. why Jesus was the. Yeah. He was a political rebel, and that's Absolutely. why the Roman Empire had to destroy him because and he most was a of them didn't rebel. Most of them didn't. Like the Romans didn't care what he was saying or, or they didn't believe what he was saying at least on, on some level probably. there actually were oh i don't know how many dozens there were well into the 30s or 40s uh messiahs who used the term messiah yeah. who were wandering the middle eastern neighborhood at the same time as jesus no no but they're not real uh, no that's that's their superstitions are fake the <laughs> just like they, there was a guy in australia a few years ago i think that claimed to be jesus and no one believed well uh, a few people believed him. I don't know how far that went. He, I don't know if he's still around or not. But yeah. well, it's just that eh? like it's the superstitions and beliefs of other people that are like that's so crazy. Yeah, right? How could anyone believe that? <laughs> no, 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 no. But my Messiah, he was the Son of God. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was born from a virgin. Well, every Middle Eastern religion and and Asian religion has at least fifty messiahs that were virgin births. Yeah, and so Egyptian. The, and the, yeah, that's yeah. that's a, that's a standard messianic thing to yeah. be born of a virgin. <laughs> and it's like, okay, oh shoot, I didn't know that. Anybody I mean, who's anybody was born from uh, a virgin. Exactly. <laughs> but wait, we're not supposed. To, no, that was unique. That was only Jesus Christ. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? There are other people who said that? that's stupid. No one could be born from a virgin. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I agreed. That's <laughs> so. That's so interesting to me because. Like I said, I for so for whatever reason, you and I have been friends now for I don't know fifteen years or something almost. Man, you're old. I know, right? Um, but I had always pegged you as a quote unquote Christian, but I kind of I've never actually bluntly asked you like I did now, um, kind of where you stand. But that makes totally makes sense. So I guess, yeah. So you are, I don't know. Are, are you bothered by the term religious, or, or what does that mean to you? I'm bothered, probably most bothered by the term religious. I mean, it's it's got multi, multiple layers of meaning, and yeah. some of the, those layers of meaning are very bothersome. Because when me. I use it, I'm not saying it derogatory or, or any sort of negative connotation. So keep that in mind. But okay, but yeah, so, so I'll try not to then either. <laughs> uh, but for, for me, a lot of the religiosity is people who adhere to do, to dogmas, yeah. regardless of what those dogmas uh, okay, are yeah. or what those dogmas require. Yeah. And if therefore I say to you, because I'm religious, I can't actually hang out with you because you've got tattoos, and the Bible <laughs> says there you shouldn't have tattoos. Yeah. 
that's that form of religion and and adherence to religious dogma i think is profoundly damaging to society it's profoundly damaging to the individual who believes that way mm-hmm. i think uh, and it's damaging to our society because now now it's okay for me to say i don't i'm going to treat you like this because my religion says gays don't count yeah. uh, people from ethnic minorities don't count muslims don't count um whoever like cho- choose your person choose a name like in Canada, like women still are being paid what seventy two cents to the dollar for for men's earnings. Oh, There's really? still a glass ceiling. There's yeah. so we do allow women to vote, but are women equal to men? In some regards, we've made progress certainly without question and thankfully, but we've got a long way to go. There, we still have places where women sit on one side of a building and men on the other side for services. Uh, we still <laughs> I grew have, up that way. <laughs> there you go. We yeah. still have churches that say women should not be preachers. Yeah. Uh, I remember the outrage when the United Church had a, had a female minister. Yeah. And, uh, at least in, in our church, they went just bananas. Uh, for sure. And, and so yeah. these sorts of things, these are religious dogmas. And okay. in that regard, that for me makes religion troubling. Sure. When, when religion can create a dogma, can create a statement, and people then adopt that and say, well, my church says, as soon as I hear my church says, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Because the church should never say anything yeah. that you hold on to as if it's meaningful. Now, now, and let me just, well, so what if a church says you should love everybody? Yeah. Well, okay, that, that, but that shouldn't be the <laughs> religious dogma. That should be your life. Yeah, yeah. And that, that should be your spirituality. Uh, for me, the reason why Jesus is one of my heroes, and I would say mentors, I don't know, is that the right, well, whatever. <laughs> the person that I would aspire to be like yeah. is he He lived a life looking to, to back the underdog, to accept everyone. When people were caught in adultery, when women were caught in adultery, because of course it's a double standard, men can do no wrong. Of course not. But women should always be stoned yeah. for, for committing adultery, and Jesus said, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm Throw the first stone, give her. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I'm not. <laughs> and, yeah. And I'm not condemning you. No. Uh, and then, like, how many people did he come across that were condemned by Samaritans? Yeah. No, that his parable about the good guy is a Samaritan. <laughs> yeah. And and so he kept, there's a book by Crable called The Upside Down Kingdom that looks at some of the things that Jesus did that were so countercultural. Oh, that's and, interesting. Do you own that? I used to. I well, if you don't, I need to own that. So okay, yes, it, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a great read. Yeah. It's probably available at the thrift shop for twenty five cents because uh, it's <laughs> no, always they burnt cycling it, I think. through that. Yeah. Well, that one they kept. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they sell that one, yeah. but it's uh, uh, if if today's church actually looked at the teachings of Christ, yeah, you you can't say anything against women, against gays, against the LGBTQ community, against uh, against immigrants, against refugees. And claim to follow the teachings of Christ. Yeah. It just simply doesn't work. No. And and so for me, I think the teachings of Christ are awesome. I don't think they're unique. No, that, that's I, fair. I like that I, distinction. Yeah. I, and so I happen to come from the Judeo-Christian culture and context. And so that's my standard reference. I mean, by now, Thich Nhat Hanh is one of my favorite authors, and he's a Buddhist writer. Uh, he writes all the same stuff that Thomas Merton um Richard Rohr, Henry Now, and Paul Sullivan, Catholic writers, write. And man, I'm pulling a total brain fart here. No, Brian McLaren. Um, sure. The, the Generous Orthodoxy. <laughs> uh, he talks about the, what different churches have contributed to an understanding of God. And so instead of saying, this church, we have it right. We have the truth and the yeah. whole truth and nothing but the truth. Like there was a church called the Full Gospel specifically for that reason because they claimed they were the only ones who possessed the full gospel. 
<laughs> That's <laughs> not scary at all. Um, but it's 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 the the willingness to learn from those who are around you. I'm happy to learn anything yeah. that will make me a more decent human being. That's why I love this podcast. That's exactly what I want this to be, where we learn things. I, I love yeah. learning things, and that's like I'm always out of my depth when I talk with you, <laughs> but I, I enjoy so. it because I, I prefer to be around people that are smarter than me. Um, <laughs> Should I leave the room now? <laughs> In that case. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I'll be lost. Um, but no, I, and I think that's important to, to continue to have these discussions, and that's, yeah again, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. Because I think being a decent human being, and that's, that's if you're not a decent human being, what what have you got? Yeah, right. Yeah, and 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 then and then really, what do you have? If you if you're then pretending to be religious, if you're an asshole and a bastard all at the same time, <laughs> yeah, like I get it. We all have moments of of all of them, <laughs> but if you're consistently those, yeah, and then claim that you're religious, how how much more are you cursing? Yeah, you right. Know, I don't believe in such things as bad words or you know you know that, but that life is a, yeah. is a damnation to our society. Sure, by saying I can treat you badly because. Whatever you, you oh you don't have faith you're an atheist so yeah. poof man are you gonna go to hell <laughs> what value would, would there ever be in saying that or even thinking that yeah and now because of the way I believe it because I'm looking at history and nobody has ever believed the same thing through history yeah so if if you have to, if there's a right thing you have to believe in order to make it anywhere um, everybody's doing we're all screwed no nobody's yeah. making it that's often what uh, I've always wondered because if because the people that are typically the most vehemently in favor of their own personal religion or whatever are, are often the ones that, you know, they think that theirs is right. Yeah. But I've often had that issue because I'm like, if, say, the Bible, whatever version is the be all end all, um, but it's all being interpreted differently and used differently and every other sect and every other building is teaching it differently and doing a different thing, how can that possibly be the bottom line for your religion? Oh, exactly. If it can be misinterpreted, then it's written wrong. <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't when make I, sense. When I, hear, when I hear people say the Bible says very clearly, I think <laughs> that's why everybody agrees. That must be it because it's so clear. There's no questions. There's no that's why there's peace, misinterpretation. Right? That's yeah. why we all get along. All those who read the Bible get along with each other, yeah. much less everybody else. For generations, I yeah, think. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Forever. So it, it, that is, to me, is a bit of a problem when I hear people say, I think, okay, so you actually aren't willing to think. Yeah, that's interesting. You want an easy answer. Yeah. And I get it. I yeah. get it. I there's want peace e- in there. There's, there's, there's security. Yep. There's an easy answer. I know the path. I'm going to do this. And and if you have the, the easy path, if you know the way, because you know the truth, and you follow that path, and knowing that truth and following that path makes you a better person, I am all for you knowing that truth and sure. following that path because it, it makes you a better person. Yeah. Go if, for it. If it but does. That's the yeah. huge qualifier, if. Yeah. And if you are busy condemning others who don't believe the same way you do, because am I right? I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. Yeah. So, but, but, I, but I'm comfortable with what I believe. I'm comfortable living with yeah. the mystery of God, the mystery of spirit, spirituality, the mystery of what our life here is. And with the security and 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 certainty, of I'm not in this alone. If uh, okay. if I'm in this alone, then why bother to continue? Interesting. If if it's bigger than me, yeah. then why am I not treating you well? And so that's where the teachings of Christ make a lot of sense to me, uh, because He speaks about love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's it. If you follow this two commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind; love your neighbor as yourself. You have covered everything. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. So if I see the God in you and treat you well and love you because 
that's what I'm supposed to do, then we can actually walk through life together. I can do something and I can encourage you and hopefully and, and support you and in who you are. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I know anybody who believes the same stuff I do. <laughs> you're um, very rare, especially here <laughs> in my experience, at least like, like I said, you're one of the most spiritual people that I know and have ever known probably. But, um, at the same time, you're open to new things or, or you're not so stuck in your lane like 98% of people that, that I would typically meet uh, in anything, right? Not even necessarily just religion, right? Um, but that is interesting. That That's so depressing when you say that if there wa- wasn't, um, y- you know, if, if we were alone, then why bother? That makes me sad. I, 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 I feel like we are, but I, I don't feel that depression or that, that type of, um, I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of, but like, I, I don't feel like it's worthless. Even without, but the, but the thing is, your life doesn't exemplify that you believe in being alone. Sure. You've got friends. You you yeah. you have people in your life with whom you go to Detroit to watch Red Wings games. <laughs> you uh, you have a wife. Yeah. You, uh, you're in the basement of your friend's home. <laughs> uh, you you actually know people, and so you're not alone. No, no, I, and, I just and, mean spiritually alone. But <clears throat> there, see, and that's where I think spiritually, it's 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 can have any word you wanted i don't know if yeah. i if i if i find any particular word more useful than another if for sure. some people the word soul works yeah but uh, in this case for whatever we're the, discussing we can use uh, whatever yeah and, and it's if if there isn't a reason to be here yeah then why are we here hmm. uh, and and so for me there's got to be a reason and that's why i um I'm absolutely content to live in the mystery of faith. Yeah. Uh, what exactly is that pur- purpose? Well, for me, I think that purpose is to, to be a decent human being. Fair. And if I'm a decent human being, then I'm going to treat you well. I'm going to treat all my students well. And I think, um, you know, I've, I feel super fortunate with a number of students who have enjoyed my classes or who are willing to not only acknowledge me on the street, but, but do so with a smile and a wave rather than heaving rocks. You should see the ones that aren't willing to acknowledge you on the street. <laughs> And, and it feels good to know, like, um, it's also, it's a bit scary when I go in as a sub and, and, and a kid after 15 minutes says, wow, you're the nicest teacher I've ever met. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, that's not good. No. Like, I shouldn't even register for you. Uh, like, I'm a sub. <laughs> I've just walked into your life 15 yeah. minutes ago, and I shouldn't be the nicest teacher you've ever met. I only remember bad subs, I think. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I remember one one good one for sure. But most of them are, are bad or totally not memorable at all. Yeah, and, and so it's the sort of thing like, same with my neighbors. I want to treat my neighbors well. I want to treat my family well. And mm-hmm. I come from a really messed up family and that's <laughs> tough sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, you know, life's not necessarily so easy. I mean, I've been taken advantage of by all sorts of people. I've been shit on by all sorts of people <laughs> and systems and organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's not as if life is easy. No. Uh, and, and just because I think, oh yeah, love, love, love. Yeah, yeah. I do believe that love is the better, better path. It's not always an easy path. And, and if you love someone, uh, somebody else might be pissed off and, and take it out on you. Yeah. And I've certainly been at the receiving end of that sort of treatment but as well. It's still better to go through it in that way because I mean, yeah, people might shit on you and take advantage of you and beat you up and whatever else hypothetically, but it's better to enter any situation, you know, open-minded with love as much as you can, um, because otherwise, if you come in the same as them, that's never going to fix anything. Right? Yeah. At least try, I, I guess. More people could try. It would be nice. But I also get it like a lot of people's lives are super complicated and more complicated than mine has been. Like I, I came from a, a blended family, a very complicated and difficult family. Yeah. Uh, and um, so when I have siblings who say they were religiously abused and they were abused in a variety of other ways as well, 
uh, I have no interest in saying no you weren't yeah. that can't happen nor could you uh, uh, and uh, and I think my job is to listen so what makes you feel like what were the abuses that you encountered and you experienced yeah. and then what do you need because hopefully uh, even if you've been abused the point is like now that I acknowledge I've been abused how do I move forward in my life and so I want to walk alongside people yeah it's the same thing when I think about my time in Ecuador and the people with whom I'm involved there that's my goal there too. Walk alongside them. I don't. I'm not a great white savior from Canada. <laughs> I there's no question. I've got more money than any of my friends in in, in, in some Lopez. way. You may be, but not in the way that is typically. You know what I mean? Not empire building exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not there to, to take control of their lives. And tell, by no. the way, you need to do this. Yeah. And so I'm going to help you do this if you do this. Yeah. Because if you yeah. wanted to open a mega church down there, you probably could. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have money. Why would I? <laughs> There's other things. I don't know. <laughs> Power and control. <laughs> that is a good segue, though, because, um, I mean, we spent like 50 minutes talking about religion, which mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on, but it's it's kind of more than I'd meant to, but sure. I'm fine with it. That's kind of how our conversations typically go. Uh, but we can definitely slide into kind of your work um, in Latin America and, and South America and um, even just travels in general. But, um, yeah, we can touch on Ecuador like you already did. Um, you have a organization, is that the right word, um, called Manitoba, Manitoba to Ecuador, um, which has been going for how long? Eight years. Oh, wow. So yeah, t- for people who don't know, um, tell, tell everybody about it. Sure. Uh, in 2010, I was studying Spanish in Puerto Lopez, Ecuador, a small fishing village in, in, um, in Ecuador. And I had, on the final day of my classes, I had breakfast with the director of the school. He told me about a soccer team he had started as a humanitarian, a social humanitarian project for kids who were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Because I had just started a social responsibility group at the SRSS, the high school in Steinbeck where I taught, and we had done two trips to Nicaragua uh, to work with uh, marginalized kids. I thought, hey, well, here's an opportunity. We could do this. I asked, so I asked him if he'd ever accept volunteers. He said yes. And so in uh, July of 2011, I went down with a first group of volunteers. And uh, it's and, and I've just kept going back ever since. <laughs> we started out working with this uh, uh, the soccer team called Los Canarios and uh, got to know kids between the ages of 8 and 12. And the idea was that these kids would be offered alternative role models to the homes in which they grew up. Uh, they're... Uh, alcoholism and domestic violence were standard in these homes. And so the idea of, of staying in school was a foreign idea. Uh, mostly girls became mothers between the ages of 12 and 14. Boys became fathers between the ages of 15 and 16. They'd all quit school, um, try to find work and make a life. And the cycle would repeat with the next generation and the next and the next. Yeah. And so the idea was to encourage these kids to stay in school. It's not an anti-family sentiment at all. Just like, wait. Yeah. Like wait till 18 to become sure. a father or a mother. Yeah. Like graduate from high school first. But, uh, <laughs> Just try and be a kid for at least a little bit. Yeah and, yeah, and 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 if you graduate from high school, you actually will potentially have some additional opportunities in life. And so that's how we started. And uh, we worked with the, the soccer team for three years and then started morphing into all sorts of places. We worked with daycares and then we worked with uh, the Red Cross and with the medical center doing, there's a traveling clinic and we brought medications and... and went to places where we met a 12-year-old wife with her 14-year-old husband who didn't know how to be parents to their little child. Uh, shocking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Um, 
And then we worked with Clara Luna, which is a foundation that offers kids language lessons and reading programs. And and then after the earthquake of April 2016, then we did construction and we brought in tons of, of resources and materials for families who had lost everything. And then we did building repairs. And uh, then, um, I, then when I retired, it seemed that the project would come to an end. But this last year when I was there, I realized we've had 23 of the 25 kids with whom we started have graduated from high school. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a great success rate. It, it, yeah. it, the first one to become a parent did so at age 18, yeah. not at age 14. <laughs> um, we have two young ladies, uh, Gisela and uh, Maria Belen, who are in their third year of a nursing program at the University of Hippihapa. They could never have gone to school if it weren't for this project. And so seeing the people who are trying to make it, to find ways of breaking the cycle of poverty, uh, trying to find a path through life that will allow them whatever, however they define it as success, yeah, successful. Uh, how do we walk alongside them? And so I've uh, thankfully been, we've been readopted. Good News Community Church is a project-based church in Steinbach. Mm-hmm. They've adopted us for all our fundraising previously and have readopted us. So I can uh, do fundraising work to try to find ways of supporting these kids adults now who are, <laughs> who are going to school or, or finding, finding places to train to get jobs. And so the present, the present rendition of, of the project is, uh, is fundraising in support of education. However, we've also created the situation where we can accept volunteers from anywhere to do anything. For example, I have a nurse, a retired nurse from Vancouver and her retired ESL teaching sister <laughs> from Vancouver who are going down in January. Perfect. And they're gonna, one of them will volunteer in the local clinic. The other is going to do language teaching. And so they're coming down. We've arranged the work for them because I have enough connections in the town to set up anyone. <laughs> I've talked to, uh, well, the, the people who, do, who run Boss Dance Academy at the, the dance-off in Summer in the City. I, talk, I was just so inspired. This is the kids in... Porto Lopez needs to see this and then be able to do this because they're looking for activities. Yeah. Right now, sex is, is that's all they have. Yeah. And and wonderful as that is, uh, you're 12. <laughs> yeah. Like dance for a while first. Yeah, like, sure. Do something else. <laughs> and uh, call it foreplay if you they, want <laughs> for the next six years. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's um, and Boss Dance Academy is interested in going and bringing some dancers down. So like that's we could so do cool. dance. Uh, classes with the with the kids give them activities to say hey you love life how can we walk along and love life with you so dancers could could go esl teachers nurses uh carpenters essentially if you have a skill set where you're willing to work with somebody yeah uh, i can find a place for you to volunteer if you're willing to be even just uh, an english conversation support person i can teach the uh, esl classes and you can be the conversation partner so that they the students have somebody with whom to practice. Yeah. And so essentially anybody who has an interest in going to volunteer, I can find a way of, of getting you there. I'm still I'm still working on it. I, I need to go. I've been wanting to go since I first heard about it and whenever you guys started and <laughs> still haven't still haven't found my way down there yet, but I'm I'm hoping to. And um, and here's another angle. So even if you don't if you don't want to volunteer, one of the things that I've now that I'm now trying to do is actually lead tours, thereby throwing money into the pockets of the people that I know, Perfect. taxi drivers and, and so yeah. on. So I, I'm, I've set up my first tour from January 8th to 27th. It's a 20-day tour, and I've been able to hire my friends who have access to vehicles, who have got their chauffeur, chauffeur trained to get their chauffeur's license, and so and have hot- uh, who work in hotels and, and who are willing to cater meals. And so I'm trying to set up tours uh, 
of just to explore Ecuador and to, because Ecuador is breathtakingly beautiful. And uh, is that is that why of all the places you've traveled, um, is that why you've kind of continually gone back to Ecuador, or or kind of why? Because you've been to what I don't know all the countries now. Um, <laughs> Only about forty five. <laughs> Only yeah yeah small small paltry amount, but. Um, I've been curious of all places why why Ecuador the human connection okay I, I've, I said for years the the last country that I visit is the place where I'll retire oh yeah and <laughs> and so I, I had previous retirement plans and lots of destinations <laughs> uh, but it was starting this project in Ecuador that absolutely transformed my life yeah uh, I'm I'm now I think probably more well connected in Ecuador than I am in Canada like I, well, I know yeah. more people in Puerto Lopez than I know in Steinbeck or any other place in Canada I wonder if that's partially has to do with the fact that our society is a lot less community driven than than many Latin American countries would be and climate wise there's a big reason like we live inside yeah we have winter six months of the year yeah we could hang out outside but we would die yeah and, <laughs> and, and so we tend not to yeah I mean some people do right say hey do you want to go cross-country skiing then you and I will go cross-country skiing and we might meet someone on the trails sounds awful maybe but yeah. not <laughs> and we might not go we might just go hang out in a hot tub instead yeah exactly I'm right. all for that yeah <laughs> uh, but they live outside on the streets like it's when I I'm bringing two guys back in March to study to study English because it makes them so much more employable and so like when I and we've had, we've brought 15 so far to study English here in Steinbach wow yeah and uh, so I always talk to them in advance do you know from cold it's, oh yeah I remember one night it was 15 degrees <laughs> yeah <laughs> And 15 is really cold. Yeah, and yeah, sure. And so uh, that's good that you know from cold. <laughs> and so that's, uh, there's a, more to learn than just English in Canada. Yeah. They, you know, actually we close doors here because we need, like it's 30 below outside. And if you leave the door open, <laughs> it's going to be one huge heating bill. That is interesting. And yeah. So, like, but they always leave their door open. Yeah, you do. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> And in January, you're welcome to leave your door open in Puerto Lopez yeah. if you have a door. Yeah. And I'm always got two doors and they're both closed <laughs> unless I'm opening them to go out and then I quickly close them behind Immediately. me. Immediately. Yeah. And so it's, it's been fascinating, but that's, that's part that's, that's what the project is about now. So on Friday, October 18th, I'm doing a fundraising dinner very specifically to raise money to help these ki- people who are studying or training to find the capacity to do so. Because Wonderful. it is challenging. Tuition is free in universities, but the cost of living isn't. Yeah. Remind and me, we'll uh, we'll toss all that up on our our two idiots. Thank too. you. Yeah. And so that's that's uh, what the project is. That's what it's about. It's uh, learning to walk alongside people and to learn from them. They've transformed my life. Yeah. Uh, I've been adopted by about five or six families down there, so I've got <laughs> lots of family. Yeah. And um, I I walk down the street, and there's a lot of people who just are shouting my name and waving, and and. and it feels really good. Hey, white savior. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As yeah, you're riding into it. town on a gilded horse. Exactly. And then they're bowing and throwing, <laughs> instead of putting, laying palm leaves in front of me, they're just like putting their gold leaf on yeah, them. Well, yeah, well, obviously. Which of course yeah, is what yeah. that's all Why about. else? What else would you put down? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I digress. That That's fantastic. Um, like I said, I've been meaning to head out there and, and just haven't gotten around to it yet, it's I guess, stunning. which is bad. But um, we're hoping to do... Uh, not next year, I think the year after, go down to Peru for, for Kat's um, birthday. She wants to go for her 30th birthday. So nice. 
we may try and do a bit of a Machu a Picchu or yeah, she wants to climb Machu Picchu for her thirtieth. So yeah, nice. Um, I just want to do it. I don't yeah. care for whatever birthday, what, however old I am at the time. It's kind of yeah. when I want to climb it. But nice. Um, so and that I'll definitely be in touch with you and Paul probably to yeah. to, to arrange all of that stuff. But we'll definitely try and, and duck into Ecuador either on the way or yeah. while we're there. Well, it's, it's easy access, that's for sure. They're, they're yeah. right side by side. Yeah, and uh, it's. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to do that. I've, a lot of people that have come to Ecuador with me have gone to, to Machu Picchu. Yeah. Because it's it's an easy flight connection. There's a flight from um, Toronto to, to Lima and mm-hmm. into Guayaquil. So it's it's easy to just take a layover Perfect. In, in Lima. and Actually, this has just popped into my head. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but this is great. Uh, you're the one person I know that may know. Um, I may have asked this before. But anyways, um, while we're in South America, my plan is to um, do a tour of either Bolivia or Paraguay to where my dad was born or kind of grew up on those on those Mennonite um, um, colonies. colonies that's the word um, I may have asked this before but do you know how they how they got there wh- how they started what what they're doing there <laughs> escaping the world the same the same way that us Mennonites got here to Canada sure but of all places why why why, why there uh, because the governments in those countries allowed them to to live their own lives uh, okay. away from everyone else oh, in isolation yeah. and uh, particularly Strausner who is the president uh, of or, and dictator <laughs> but a beneficent dictator <laughs> of, uh, of Paraguay uh, in the 30s he came to power um, and uh, he was in for a long time and he loved he I'm not sure where his German connections came but that's also why all the Nazis who escaped uh, yeah. know, came to Paraguay yeah. and Argentina, and, Argentina and, yeah, yeah. And, and Brazil uh, there's a lot or of Hitler's there. still alive I hear yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he liked the Germans and so he, when these when these German background Mennonites were looking for a place to escape and and, and a lot of them who were escaping the Soviet U- well it was Russia Russia before that it didn't become the Soviet Union until later uh, but after after Stalin took over during Lenin the the oppression wasn't quite as great but when Stalin took over the le- uh, the leadership of Russia the the Really powerful anti-faith movement came into Russia at that point. Oh yeah. So a lot of a lot of uh, religious folk in the German Mennonites looked to escape, and they escaped through China uh, and went south. Through China, of yeah. all places. Yeah. Rudy Weeb has a book called "The Blue Mountains of China," which follows the story of of uh, German Mennonites who are living in what's now the Ukraine, uh, made their escape uh, huh. through China and headed to Paraguay and and, and Bolivia. And then there's been movement as well from from Canada. The, the Mennonites that came in the first wave in the 1874 and then in 1876, um, who feared the the liberal society of Canada, so they moved further south, first to Nebraska and Kansas, and then from there to Mexico and and in Paraguay and Bolivia. Yeah. And as a result, too, of of who it was that moved is why some of the stories come out of what colony life is like, uh-huh. and uh, most of which stories are really quite horrifying. Yeah. And um, but that's that's where that migration uh, came from and began, and 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 why people went there. They could live there uh, unmolested yeah. uh, by government, and because they were white, they had privilege. Yeah, and, and weirdly, so, it was very isolationist. I I still yeah. remember hearing stories uh, like from my dad's family in particular. I think my mom's family was in a Mennonite colony in Mexico. I don't know any details other than that, but I know for sure my dad's. They they've kind of I've heard stories about kind of how there was like the Bolivians and then there were like 
the Spaniards as if that was somehow, you know what I mean? And, and then there was who they were, uh, you know, the white people. Yeah. <laughs> but they would always kind of talk grudgingly about, you know, everyone else outside of the colony as if they were somehow inferior. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Hispanics were inferior to the whites and then the indigenous, of course, were significantly of course, as they More tend to be based on everywhere. those systems. Yeah, yeah. This is systemic racism is alive and well everywhere. Yeah, it certainly and, is, and it's certainly in those places, and and that's also part of uh, part of the benefit for the Mennonites who, to live down there because they they live with phenomenal privilege. Yeah, and and resource access to resources that the indigenous of those places had never had. Yeah, huh? No, that's I'm I'm thank you for that. <laughs> like I said, I feel like I may have asked you that before, but I, I couldn't remember. Um, especially for it being so important to my family because they, um, I remember they go back and forth and back. Yeah. I don't remember. I wasn't alive, but I remember hearing about <laughs> that that was a thing. Um, and did did your family, were they involved with any of the colonies? Or do they, well, they're missionaries evolved, out there somewhere? Yes, but, but my, my mom and dad are, are both from Manitoba and they came here and lived here, always lived here. Okay. Uh, it was because my dad was the 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 main missions teacher at the Steinbeck Bible Institute at the time. Yeah. Uh, teach, he, he practiced what he taught. And so he went to Paraguay as a missionary. And, okay. uh, and so we were, so during the three years that we were there, he was definitely involved with the colonies to, to varying successes. It was interesting <laughs> which colonies really, really liked him. And like, for example, in 2009, when my sister Cheryl, my brother Paul and I went back after 40 years, uh, since we, since we left, we met people who still spoke glowingly. In fact, the person who was our tour guide was a self-appointed tour guide because he had heard so much about Ben D. Reimer and how great Ben D. Reimer was in the freedom and new life and faith he had brought them that he vowed someday I'm going to do something for that man because he, he he helped my family in so many yeah. ways. And so when he heard that us kids were going, hmm, kids, yeah, we were so child, childish then, young then, um, he said, I'll, I'll show you around. And so he drove us around all over Paraguay. Anything we wanted to do, he took us there and yeah. showed it to us. So we met people who who absolutely admired my parents for the work they did. And the World Mennonite Conference was going on just after we left. But there was a professor of Mennonite history who had taught at CMU, at, at Eastern Mennonite University in the U.S., at some Mennonite University in Paraguay, and all over the place. And he told us stories about my dad because he knew my dad and he knew my da- or knew my dad's story. Uh. And he knew how many colonies had hated my dad <laughs> because the religion he brought was so just not yeah. what they knew. He taught about salvation and redemption changing your lives. And yeah. now suddenly you were going to be responsible to God for what you did. <laughs> Who needed that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who wanted to know any of that stuff? Yeah. Like, just leave us alone. <laughs> we have a perfectly good now. Get out yeah, of here. Exactly. Our religion is don't know anything and yeah. we don't want to because if we know stuff, and I actually had a, a person articulate that to me. Uh, the more you know, the more God will hold you responsible for. So it's better not to know anything. Oh, geez. Thinking, oh, oh wow. not scary at oh. all. <laughs> wow. And yeah. so my Dad wasn't a hero to those people. They That's didn't fair. like him because he was bringing in a different sort of message. <laughs> and so that was fascinating to, to come across people who who spoke about how positively that had changed their lives. And those and here, how other people just rejected that and hated him for having come there. It's a good microcosm for how and why religion or like very dogmatic religion or how it works right? and how it, you know permeates yeah, <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah um yeah i was trying to think what else we were yeah uh so we did manitoba to ecuador um talked about some of their successes i wanted to talk more also as, as well as uh about your kind of your teaching career um so you, you taught for how long 
33 years. Wow. Or at least I retired 33 years after. According to my retirement, my pension benefits, I have 27.8 years of pensionable service. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started teaching in 84. Oh, wow. I taught in, at the Blumenort Elementary School. I taught grade six my first year. Okay. And then the next year was moved into junior high and I taught grade seven to nine science after never having taken a science course <laughs> after grade 12. It's Blumenort. You don't need science. It's fine. <laughs> it's all lies. Just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world is 6,000 years old. Yeah, the fossils are put there by, uh, yeah, by, by God. God is trying to deceive you because that's what kind of God there is. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, after that, I went to Germany and taught at a school called Black Forest Academy. It was a residential school for missionary and business kids. Mm-hmm. I was there for two years, came back, taught in Niverville. I, overall, I was uh, in Niverville for 10 years, uh, but I took one year uh, leave, 96, 97, and I went to Lithuania and I taught in Lithuania in the fall. Wow. Then after uh, after Christmas, I was at the World Mennonite Conference in India and I just traveled in Asia. Uh, so no teaching that. The that's rest su- of that super year. cool, though. Actually, sorry to interject, but my my cousin actually just married a Lithuanian girl. Awesome. Um, well, I think she grew up here. She was adopted by, I believe it was a, a local family. Yeah. <clears throat> but her mom was Lithuanian, and, and Ellen she came, Judy Peterson. Uh, maybe. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, Peterson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, smaller yeah. world than I thought. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my cousin married their their daughter. Oh I guess. wow. Yeah. Or one of their daughters. I guess they have more than one. Uh, that, that, well, who knew? Yeah. But yeah, so like her mom brought uh, like some sort of traditional like Lithuanian dessert and stuff. It looked awesome. super weird. I don't know. I didn't actually try it. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, continue. Um, so I, I taught in Lithuania. Then And then I went back three three more summers to teach at the university there. Okay. Uh, then came back. So I then taught in Niverville a few more years. Then I switched to the SRSS. I taught at the Steinbeck Regional for three years. Uh, and during during the time after I got back from my year's leave I, is when I did my master's of, oh, yeah. of education. I did that uh, while I was working full time. I, I did that degree. Uh, then after three years in Steinbeck, I um, I took a leave and went to the University of Iowa. And I, I taught at the University of Iowa while I was doing my doctoral studies there. And then I came back to the Steinbeck Regional uh, in 2004. Okay. And I continued teaching there until I retired in uh, February of 2017. <clears throat> Yeah, so so thirty three years from the time I started to the time I I left the classroom. That is quite the storied career. Yeah, <laughs> I taught from grade four from students as young as the, whatever you are in grade four <laughs> up to uh, master's level courses at the University of Iowa. Wow! Uh, and so and almost everything in between. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it has been. It's been wonderful. It's been absolutely life giving yeah. and, and and delightful. The number of people that I've met and and the stories that I've heard and the ways in which uh, former students. Uh, some of whom are now friends, uh, <laughs> have enriched my life, continue to enrich enrich my life, is uh, is an absolute gift. I can imagine that, if you uh, if you enjoy. Yeah, imagine if you come at teaching in in a way that with that type of mentality, it's almost a, a fountain of youth type thing. Whereas there are people and teachers that I've had where it, it seems to be more of like a drain to them than anything. Right, kids are just pissing them off and and stealing their soul. Oh, and that's where I feel like kids bring so much positive energy with them. Even the kids who don't like school, because for whatever reason. And I can unfortunately think of way too many reasons yeah. why kids might not like school. Mm-hmm. But there's an energy there. There's still a vibrancy within those people for whom the system isn't working. And yeah. I'm also not so deluded as to think that our system of the way we do school is is actually the right way to do school for all people. Yeah, no. It, it works well enough for a lot of people. Uh, but there are a lot of people for whom it doesn't work. Yeah. And and I, I have no opposition to people finding a path of in education that works for them sure. and there's lots of paths available it's not just graduating from a public high school uh, or even private although that's 
more troubling to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a fantastic job. To, to, and and I think one of the really, really wonderful things for me is, is the, the places like, teach, when I was in Lithuania, the first time I taught in Lithuania, I had students, I was there in 90, 96, five years after they declared their independence from the Soviet Union. Oh. And so here's a country that is still brand new, trying to figure out who are we as Lithuanians? Uh, what does it mean to be Lithuanian rather than Lithuanian Soviet? Yeah. Um, and the energy, the life that they brought, the questions, the curiosity was was just, it was awe-inspiring. And I think that's, I, I mean, I like I said, I, I liked my students before that, but I think that was when my eyes were open to like, my goodness, like it's not, it's not just, and it's not, not just college age students that bring that sort of awe-inspiringness. Yeah. I mean, sure. The, the, the students who are, curiosity is inspiring. Yeah. Uh, Almost blind optimism in a lot of it. Well, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and sure, but but endurance as well. When I yeah. when I think about the stats, which I find horrifying, one in um, what is it? One in three girls will be sexually abused by the time they're eighteen, and one in five boys will be. I think we have a lot more than three girls and five boys in our classes. Yeah. And when the when I think about the number of stories that are really hard, painful stories in every single classroom. And I think, wow, look at the resilience of these people. It's true. And then, I mean, they're more so two young, two young men, but they're a couple of their sisters who I knew as well and who I know better now. When I think about their life story, what they've, the shit they've had thrown at them and that they've had to walk through and live with and who they are and who they, who are they're, they're becoming, there's just no reason for them to be decent human beings. <laughs> and they are. Yeah. It's stunning. And and they're not the only ones. And, and and then for the kid who who lives mired in 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 horror, and if they're not such a decent human being, well, no surprise. Yeah. Uh, and that's where empathy and compassion is really essential. That we we learn to walk alongside without judgment, and say you should do better. Why aren't you reading? <laughs> yeah. Well, because reading is just simply not important. Yeah. Uh, it's and and it isn't. It's not important compared to the things that they're contending with at home. Makes sense. Yeah. I I remember the first time I discovered a student who never wanted to leave school at the end of the day uh, and when I found out that every single day that that kid went home they would find both their parents drunk passed out on the on the couch on the floor who wants to go home yeah and 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 he did and he went home and then he made supper for himself and he'd make enough that if his parents woke up they'd have something too um just and, tragic yeah, yeah and, and he was 11 years old yeah how do you do that <laughs> you know you're 11 you yeah. shouldn't be you shouldn't be scared to go home. You shouldn't be making dinner for your mom and dad. No. On a special occasion, oh, sure, maybe, sure. go for it. Or if you enjoy it, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Exactly. But there are healthy ways to do it, but not yeah, that way. Yeah, but that's just, and, and that's one story. And, and there, there's how many stories in every classroom. Yeah. And and so when I think about the energy that kids bring, I I I want to listen. I, I want to find ways of walking alongside that. That line, walking alongside someone, I, I don't reserve for the people that I've met in Puerto Lopez. Yeah. That's sort of my goal or idea about how do I approach life. Now that I'm subbing, I, I'm fortunate because I do most of my subbing in one school, so I know the kids in that school and they know me. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, you know, if you're in a different school, a different class every day, it's hard to, to know anything about anybody. Yeah. But I'm very fortunate. I I get to, to be at, at uh, one of the schools in the division. Uh, well, last year I'd say between 75 and 80% of my subbing time uh I've had 12, I have 12 days of subbing in, in, uh, September and 10 and a half or it's one at the same school. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. It's a, it's a good deal. 
So I'm then, very lucky. I'm curious with over over all your years, are there any? I mean, you mentioned kind of one one terrible story there, but I'm wondering, is there any one, you know, glowing story that stands out, or person, or thing, and then the converse? Is there any like terrible, terrible thing that you can remember that stands out, or is it kind of all blended? You know, I and and maybe it's because I I'm uh, prefer hope to, yeah. to despair. Sure, uh, those are, I remember more stories of of hope and life Which and, and, and resilience. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 probably because I I had my focus realigned in that direction uh, in my second year in Niverville. I think that that's something that I've I've I've, I've simply seen a lot more hope than despair. Sure, uh, some of my colleagues haven't seen the same hope in certain students that I did. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And so they could tell you stories of despair and 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 uh, uh, discouragement about a per- certain person, and I would tell you a very different one, yeah. because my experience with that kid is very different. Sure, uh, I I think that that um, one of the things I I worked at was respecting my students and treating them as decent human beings, whether they were for in grade four uh, or whatever grade they were in or whatever they were taking in my class, and. Um, and having having that same re- treatment then re- returned. So one story, uh, I was uh, that happened in Niverville. Uh, it was a I th- I'm pretty sure it was it was a grade I had a grade nine class, and the school that I taught in there was it was a grade seven to twelve at the time that I taught there. Okay. And so the kids had been in school uh, for a couple of years, even if they hadn't been in my class, they'd seen me around. They had older siblings who'd been through, so they they knew who I was, uh, and they knew my reputation or what they hoped for in my class. So anyway, in this particular class, there was a, a kid who was brand new to the school. And so uh, we were just, it was early in the year, it was the, probably in the first week of classes. And uh, I we were probably still going through the, like one of the first lessons, or what are, what are class expectations? And I don't even remember what it was that the kid did. The kid may have stood up in the middle of the class and then thrown something towards the garbage can. Yeah. And a kid beside them put their hand on the shoulder and said, sit down, we don't do, we don't behave like that in this class. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the kid looked at the other student with as much surprise as I did. Yeah. And then that kid was explaining, no, no, this, you, that, you just don't do that in Mark's class. In Mark's <laughs> class, you when he talks, you listen and then you do the work. You don't stand up and throw garbage around. Oh, wow. And so that for me was was quite astonishing. Very authoritarian. Of yeah. You, right? <laughs> <I> thought, wow. <laughs> okay. And so here's another story I, I have to recount. I had a couple of uh, oh, not good things in my life. I had a house um, January of 1994. Uh, my house burnt down with everything oh, in it. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, then that September, uh, my dad died. That October, my oldest brother died. Oh, uh, so that was a pretty difficult year uh, for me. Yeah. And I think it was about two years later, uh, give or take, I had a student in my classes. And um, uh, one night their family house burnt down and his father and his brother were killed in the house fire. Oh, no. And um, when, um, oh, you know what? Sorry, I've got the order wrong. He had that happen. That happened to him when he was in grade nine. Uh, And I spent a fair bit of time with him when he finally came back to school. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was, then I had that house fire and then my dad died and my brother died. And, and, uh, and so this kid, he was in grade 12 when the year that I had these things happen to me and the, 
the day that my brother died, I'd already arrived at school when I got the phone call that my brother had died. He lived in on London, Ontario. Okay. But I left school. I went home. And uh, then uh, missed a couple of days because we went out east for the funeral. And when I came back, uh, it was one of the first days that I was back. And, and during my prep, I had gone down to photocopy copy something. I was walking down the hallway back towards my office. When he came out of his classroom, he saw me. He came straight towards me, wrapped me in his arms, embraced me in the biggest bear hug. And he said, man, I know exactly what you feel. Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh man, kid, that's amazing. I mean, you lost your dad, brother, and everything in one night. Yeah. And you were in grade nine. Yeah. I'm, I was 33 when my dad died, when all this shit was happening to me. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be an adult and, you know, supposed to be able to walk through, through life. But I'm thinking, here's this kid in high school who's coming up to me and saying, I know exactly what it's like. I know what you're feeling. I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> man. And to this day, I regularly send Wes Douse uh, letters of thanks. I, <laughs> I remember him and and what an incredible human being he was then. And and he still is. I, yeah. Although I don't have much contact with him, I have only a little bit of Facebook contact with him. Uh, I have friends who know him and, and who speak about what an incredible person he is. And those stories just don't come as a surprise no, because yeah. he was such an incredible young man in high school already. And very mature at that time, yeah. it sounds like, yeah. And, and boy, talk about having to grow up fast. Oh. Like, how do you deal with the death of a father and a brother? At that age. In, yeah. in the, in the, and losing everything you've got. Yeah. You One know, of those things is, is is brutal, life breaking. Yeah. Right? yeah. So 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 Wes was in my class, and and I got to interact with him, and that was astonishing. Yeah. And um. And and I could go through a very long list of of, of individual students' <laughs> names who I still remember the stories of, of what they bring and how they bring life to me, how they how they inspire me. That's great. Uh, and uh, and I feel so so incredibly fortunate including when I think about the kids from Ecuador that I brought to Canada to study and, and many of whom of those 15 then lived with me in my home while they were studying in Steinbach and the connections that I have with them uh, to this day as well. Like the, we're in constant contact and um, when I'm down there, I'm like I say, I've been adopted into families. I'm part of the family now and, and, uh, yeah. and it's, and it really is, is uh, life giving and enriching. So I, I feel very fortunate uh, when I, you know, again, there's a long list of names. <laughs> I could tell you lots of stories and I'd love to, but it's, it's just, yeah. it's, I do feel very fortunate. And that's, I actually feel that way about most of my students and, and and what they've brought. And I get it. Not every student wants to have contact with me. I mean, school's incidental to, to a lot of people. Yeah. They're there. They, they're, they're doing fine. They're not doing fine, whatever. And school's not something that makes a big impact because life is bigger than school. And so I'm grateful when I've when I've had students who've had the time and energy to to interact with me, uh, to to recognize that I, maybe I have something to offer as well, and and uh, they can learn something in my class. They, that's a good deal. <laughs> I think another story that that really put a smile on my face is I, the number of times that I've had students tell me, "Man, your class was so easy. I didn't learn a thing." <laughs> And then I just smile and I think, <laughs> I remember what your work looked like when you came in at the start of the semester. Yeah. And Frank Smith, who is one of my learning gods, mm-hmm. of, of whom I am a disciple, says that learning should always be easy. Yeah. We learn so much stuff. And if teachers are making it difficult, they're doing it wrong. And That's so, so powerful, but no one thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when these kids are saying, it was so easy, I, I thought, well, 
awesome. So then I did something right because I, I, I could present it in a way that you understood and responded because the work that you're doing at the end of the semester doesn't, there's no similarity between what you did at the beginning of the semester. Yeah. So if you don't think you've learned anything, awesome. Yeah. Because you did. Yeah. And, um, or you didn't and you still enjoy the class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the work demonstrates they, they've, yeah. they've made progress. No, that's good. And another student told me, you know what I like about your class? You know what, you know what you're doing. You, you know where we're starting, you know where you want to take us and you, and then you do. Yeah. So that, you know, those, of course, who doesn't like affirmation, right? I love yeah. it when people tell me that I, that they learned something in my <laughs> class or that they didn't. Yeah. And, and I know that they're saying words that they may think is true, but aren't. <laughs> and that's fine. No, that's great. I, I remember specifically, um, your class was jarring to me in, in at least one way. Uh, many ways, but in particular one, um, when you had said, don't call me Mr. Reimer, you can just call me Mark. And I was like, hold up, hold up. I'm 15 years old, you know, growing up where I grew up and how I grew up. And it's like, it, you would never call an adult by their first name. It's like, no, uh, it's weird to me. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> it took me a little bit, but I remember that specifically being, uh, at least an interesting, an interesting thing for me. Um, I am curious though with, with, um, I mean, you're still in, the teaching sphere or, or you're dealing with kids on a daily basis uh, people always say or of whatever current generation they're in they say that the next generation is shit and you know the world's going to hell um, do, do you think that that each generation is is because you've gone through many generations of students um, maybe not generations but many years of students um, do you do you feel that to be true or are we generally trending upward oh or we, we, remaining we, stagnant I don't know no, no. <laughs> It's when I, and I'll give you an example compared to my, my volleyball life. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was in high school, I played volleyball and, and I really liked it. So I played a lot. And I think it was the sort of offense that we ran. And, and then I went to university and I studied volleyball with Frank Enns, who was the professor and the, the coach of the university team. And I learned so much more. Well, when I started teaching, I was coaching a grade seven team. And I brought everything that I knew to coaching that grade seven team. Yeah. I did things with that grade seven team that I learned at university. <laughs> And they responded. Yeah. And so when those kids were in grade nine, they were way better volleyball players than I had ever been in high school. Okay, yeah. When I think about my experience at classes, kids these days are literate beyond anything that I was when I was in high school. Yeah. We have no literacy troubles uh, mm-hmm. at all. What is the uh, literacy rate in, in Canada? Nin- it's, it's, 90s? It's, it's super, oh, yeah it, yeah, it's super high. And and I know right now in Manitoba, the conservatives are wanting to do a lot of fear-mongering. We've got an education review because Manitoba's uh, finishing at the bottom end of, of everything, <laughs> of all the measures. Okay. Except tourism, but, according uh, to the debates. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> but, but, but even so, even if we're at the bottom, because there are 10 provinces, three territories, and so somebody's going to be the 13th. Sure. And it's a pretty small curve to be. It to be is, rated and, on, and, yeah. and then and 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 is it significant? Yeah. Like, what's the gap between yeah. the bottom and the top? And when you look at the performance levels of actually what's happening, uh, our students are doing fine. Yeah. We have no education crisis here in Manitoba at all. But that doesn't sound good if you want to bash people and be a politician, especially when you, you're going for re-election. <laughs> exactly. You got to find troubles and say we're in bad shape. Everybody is reading better than we are. Okay, so so, uh, but we're reading at the ninety fifth percentile, yeah. and that's the bottom. Yeah, that is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what a first world problem to have. Right? Yeah, exactly. So we're the we're in last place. Yeah, that and, and and that's does it matter? Like, why are we even talking about that? Yeah, because the biggest issues, which we've known forever in education, the number one determinant of how successful you will be in grade school or university education is your postal code. 
Uh, yeah, do you yeah. live in a wealthy neighborhood? Yeah. You're going to do well. Do you live in a poor neighborhood? You're going to have trouble. It's about opportunities in life. Manitoba has the highest child poverty rates. We shouldn't be talking about education crises. No. We should be talking about edu- we should be talking about childhood poverty rates. Yep. If we change the world in which these kids are living, it's as I said before, reading is important. Why? I haven't had breakfast. I find my parents drunk on the floor. Yeah. Um, you don't focus on... I actually just heard a, a podcast. Uh, I don't even remember which one it was. Too many of them. But they were talking about exactly that. They did a study in which they took, uh, I think it was X number of people and moved them into... How did it work now? But essentially, they kind of had a the control group stayed where they were in the schools that they were going to, and the other ones kind of moved into a different neighborhood, slightly more affluent, regardless of, of race, culture, whatever. Uh, they just kind of moved them. I don't think it was even that drastic of a change, but the the results of their education were astronomically different just by changing, say, three blocks away or something. It is astonishing, and we have all that information available. Why yeah. are we not using that? Yeah. Why are we not talking about that? Because it doesn't meet our agenda. Yeah. We don't want and it's to too hard. <laughs> because now you're going to make substantive difference. Yeah. You're going to have to do something that's actually difficult to do. And if you don't do it, people will blame you for it. Yeah. yeah. So whereas if we say, oh, Manitoba is doing poorly, let's have more standardized tests. That should do better. Yeah. Well, no, standardized tests have nothing to do with quality education. Yeah. And yet it's it's a prime line for the conservative governments and always has been. Conservative education thinkers, oh, we need more standardized stuff. No, standardized doesn't do anything. It has nothing to do well, with education. People aren't standardized. That's no, exactly. <laughs> And it, and it doesn't help learning. And, and then I think in terms of education, we've got such tough education or such horrible education. How is it possible we have any successful Manitobans? Yeah, right. Because we actually have people who are gainfully employed. <laughs> we actually have people who are making contributions to their communities, to, their, to their province. <laughs> you know, how is that possible if yeah. we are so horrible? Yeah. We're not. But if, if a politician says, oh, we've got to beware, it's easy to, to tremble in fear, it seems, because we don't, we don't actually think our way through. What are they saying and why are they saying that? Yeah. We have, the kids today are more talented, are more capable than any we've ever had before. And the kid that's crying upstairs now by the time that kid is in school <laughs> yeah. is going to be way ahead of yeah. the kids who are in school now. And it's not that they're smarter than their parents are. They just live in a different time. They mm-hmm. have different opportunities and, and they're surrounded by stuff. Um, aside from the fact that Screens are horrible for anyone under the age of 12. Yeah. Um, my five-year-old nephew can absolutely navigate his way around an iPhone, an iPad, uh, or a computer screen. Yep. He's five. It blows my mind. It scares me. He, it blows my mind. <laughs> I, my, my, his grandma asks him questions. Man, what's going wrong with my phone? Owen, what's going wrong with my phone? <laughs> yeah. Five-year-old Owen can fix it. Yep. And it, and my sister's like she's not a slouch. Like, yeah, she's a totally capable human being. But she didn't grow up with iPhones. Yeah, she's had them now for I don't know how many years, many. But <laughs> like she didn't grow up with them, whereas the kids now are, and so they have access to stuff that we never even imagined. And uh, I mean, it, to me, it's really funny. The Jetsons were a comic strip when I was <laughs> when I was five, seven, eight, yeah. ten years old. And they had this box that you put food into and pushed it. Oh, I remember. Those, yeah. Thirty seconds later, it was hot. <laughs> yeah, as if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> what oh, a pipe yeah, dream! Wait. Yeah, yeah. When it's, how long have we had microwaves? Like we don't even think about no. what we're doing. So it's it's um, no, the world we live in. We we and on top of which, philosophically, I don't believe there's any value in speaking about deficits. This child has this deficit. No, they don't. Yeah. There are circumstances without question that kids have to face, and there are challenges to education, hands down. Um, but, but oh, 
and and I'm I just I hate diagnostics when I hear people say, "Oh, this kid is they're in grade four, but they're reading at a grade two point one level," <laughs> as if that somehow means something. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. That those diagnostic reading assessments are all built off of um, phonetics. Phonetics are one very extremely small chapter of what reading theory is. It's the dominant program uh, in reading assessments. Yeah. Why? Because it always has been. So education is very slow to move. Yeah. And and so that's really unfortunate. I mean, I think Lev Vygotsky is a Russian learning theorist who was writing in the 60s and early 70s. His stuff started making it into the West in the late 70s, early 80s. I started studying it in the uh, late 90s. Yeah. And why? <laughs> and schools now are still not functioning. Like education students aren't required to be taking courses in Vygotskyan theory. Well, that shouldn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. You should know the zone of proximal development if you're a teacher. If you don't know what ZPD stands for, you shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> and every one of my student teachers, I like because I, I wanted to just see, because like, that, that is such a common acronym. And what does that mean? Zone of proximal development. And what zone of proximal development means is that knowledge shifts. Okay. And, it move, and, it, and it's always in a bandwidth. And it's going to move upward. And I, as the teacher, am at the upper level of the band. And the student c- coming in is here. Yeah. And so we're work. I'm the I'm the mentor. I'm the guide to move a kid through this. Zo- so this is the range of stuff. If I'm presenting something that's here, the kid won't get it because uh, this is their zone. Okay. Yeah. 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 And if I'm presenting something here, they're going to be bored out of, out of their gourd. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and so being aware of that and how to move that and recognizing not not every student's in the same place. So if you're planning your lessons properly. It can be accessed by any student at any time. Yeah, but we're not training our teachers in that regard. You're a bit far we're, away, by the way. We're we're um, we're doing a lot more training in deficit models. You yeah. don't get it. You're reading at a grade six point one level, and you're in grade ten. Man, uh, are you behind? Yeah. So here, pronounce this word. <laughs> but like most things, it, it lacks nuance, right? Like almost anything, um, almost everything, I should say that that most people talk about. They, they don't take into account nuance. It's all black and white. It's this or it's this or it's nothing or it's everything, right? And, and, and unfortunately, a teacher's job is complicated. Oh, yeah. You've I'm, got I'm 20 not saying to that, 30 that they kids shouldn't, and you're trying to figure out what you're doing and and it's it, it's a challenging oh, job. Oh, totally. And so yeah, the yeah. fact that they don't get everything, hey, okay, that's, I get that too. Yeah. I sure didn't no. get anything. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily shitting on anybody, but it, it is like most things where it's, it's you know, too bad. Either it don't is. have time or the capability uh, exactly. or the knowledge to, yeah. to know that. Why is this not your training? Why is this not where professional development is, <clears throat> is, is being made available to you as a, as a now practicing teacher? Yeah. So I, yeah, I do. I've got lots of ideas about education. I haven't, I haven't, uh, <laughs> even though I've retired from teaching in the classroom, I've not retired from education. I have applied to a, a school program to do a professional development uh, or, and consulting for them. Oh, cool. I'm waiting to hear about, about that, but I'm sort of crossing my fingers because it would be fun to work with teachers as well. I mean, sure. I absolutely love working with students. The middle school students are just such a delight. <laughs> I, so are others. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm right now, I spend most of my time in middle school and it's awesome. Yeah. But I'd love to work with teachers and, and, and help teachers discover more of what's possible in their classes. Sure. Cool. Well, speaking of, of schools um, and politics on some level, um, I just I saw a pretty disheartening video about um, kind of gun violence in schools in the U.S. Uh, that Sandy Hook video, I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's kind of going around and they, they want to release this PSA um, and it's tragic. Um, on that level, what 
and actually just today, SRSS had a shutdown for a pellet gun. Um, I was just reading that before. They locked everything down. So, I mean, I'm glad everyone's okay and that that's wonderful. Um, but on, <laughs> I mean, we don't have to go too deep in it, but on the level of, of arming teachers, how do you feel about that? It's the most ludicrous idea <laughs> that has ever happened. How's that for not going into it too far? <laughs> has it has it been proposed in Canada too? Oh no. Okay. I, good. Mean, in I Canada, mean, we don't have so, that so, level. So, here, so. so here's a, exactly yeah. in Canada, a mass shooting is is identified as four or more people killed in one event. Okay. Yeah. Canada has had two mass shootings in the last fifty years. Yeah. And that's not just schools. Yeah. That's two mass shootings in Canada <laughs> in the last fifty years. One of them was the Polytechnique in Montreal. Oh yeah. Sixteen women who were killed. Yeah. Uh, so we have them. It happens here. Sure. Twice in 50 years. <laughs> in the United States, they don't make the news. No. If only four people are killed. No. Because it's such a or regular Or it's just occurrence. along the ticker at the bottom and nobody, yeah. nobody talks about uh, it. What was it? The, the, when, when the shooting happened in Texas, it was the 250th shooting this year. Yeah. In, or, you know, in, or 260th and 250 days of the year or something. Like they yeah. have more than one a day. Yeah. And so... The culture of what it... So when people ask, aren't Canadians and Americans the same? No. No. Not even close. No. Not even a little bit. No. Uh, are we the same? Um, and gun violence is just one measure of difference. So uh, first of all, I don't believe that any American teacher should be armed to any benefit. Uh, but in Canada, it's, it's absolutely a ludicrous proposition. We understand what violence is possible with guns and, and how guns actually contribute to violence yeah. and that line well guns don't kill people people kill people well no guns <laughs> people with guns kill people and when you have a semi-automatic gun you can kill many of them a lot like of in them. a really short time yeah like don't be so stupid yeah and uh, so in canada we don't have the same situations at all and and even what happened today at, at the sr um not to take away from the the um, the issue of what happened uh from what I understand, because I was subbing today at a different school, and so oh. we we were the hold and secure situation. Yeah, all schools in Steinbach were, which is standard protocol. And when I got home from school, my brother is a teacher, and my sister has two brothers that are teachers, and three <laughs> grandchildren that are in schools. Yeah, and she was just alarmed, and she was nervous and scared because she had heard, she saw crowds of parents around uh, the school right behind her place who clearly couldn't get into the school to get their kids at four o'clock. And she's like, what's going on? Yeah. And um, when I think about, and, and, I, and I'm not, don't want to throw stones at Hanover for a second, but when I think about any errors in communication that was made and could this be handled better, could this be handled differently? Uh, and the obvious answer is yes. Yeah. But what a gift that Hanover is inexperienced yeah. in crisis. Right. Did you hear I about mean, that school design that they just opened in Michigan that oh. is designed to take school shootings in effect? Yeah. Like it has curving hallways, hallways and exactly. little alcoves no they can hide. Exactly. That blows my mind. Blows my and, mind. And so if the biggest complaint that t- uh, that parents have today, oh my goodness, we didn't like the communication, the, the, the yeah. type of or the amount of or the flow of communication. If that's the problem we have, how lucky are we? Yep. Our problem is communication, yeah. not shooting people. No, yeah. Not, not shooting many, many people. Sure. Uh, we we are so fortunate. And can we learn from it? For sure. Absolutely. And and could something terrible happen? Of course it could. Yep. Uh, we, we're, we certainly are aware of that, that reality, but we don't live in that reality in Canada. And I'm r- really grateful oh, for that. As am I. Yeah. And, and, and that's why even, you know, when I think about all the political partisanship that's going on and, and unfortunately this is an area where Canadians 
like the evangelical church is trying to follow in the suit of the U.S., where we're trying to turn it into a bipartisan thing. I'm conservative, so I hate all liberals, or I'm liberal, yeah. so I hate all conservatives. I hate that. I, I hate won't that. even acknowledge any of the other parties. That it's just two parties, and we we hate the other one. Yeah. And everything the other one does is stupid, and anyone who votes for the other one is stupid. Well, that is so destructive. Yeah. And and so we need to learn to communicate. We need to have our politicians stop being such assholes <laughs> and and Good luck. slinging money. Well, exactly, because it works, right? I hate we've attack seen, ads we, so we, much. We've we've seen the, we've seen the success that mm-hmm. Trump has had in the states. Doug Ford in in Ontario, Jason Kenney in uh, in Alberta, um, Mo in um, Saskatchewan, and Palliser here in Manitoba. Yeah, they want to win. Oh, hey, let's go to this nasty populist bullshit yeah scare people yeah and make a mess of things mm-hmm. and in and now of course it, and it's not as if sheer is doing it and trudeau isn't oh like, no yeah. everybody's not ready you know <laughs> wow awesome if everybody's not ready let's start over let's yeah. get some other politicians in there yeah but that's where i think like even with that how lucky are we yep like we still aren't in such a horrible spot like ultimately whether it's the liberals or the conservatives that form our next federal government in the same way that whether it was the conservatives or the NDP that formed our Manitoba government, life's looking pretty good. Yeah. And, and I know that the conservatives are doing many horrible things to healthcare and education, of course, because I'm in, in education, I see, yeah. and I have family that are in healthcare. So healthcare and education is always important to me. So I, as it should I, be to everyone. Yeah, but yeah, I get it. And yeah. I've and I've never earned enough money to vote conservative. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's that sort of thing. Like even when there's a conservative government, my life doesn't go to hell. No, and I, I, we've actually made that point on the show in, in way way back in many episodes. It's like, of all things, like yeah, you can hate whatever party you like, and it seems to be becoming more and more. And maybe I'm just more aware of it, but it seems to be louder and louder. Just I kind of so. the the partisanship and and, and everything else, um, but. At the at at least a base level, if you want to ignore it, your life remains virtually unchanged. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> I just can't. I, I want to sometimes. I want to like ignore all of it and just live my life and just ignore it. But I'm like, I have to know. <laughs> exactly, and that's what I like about you, Reg. Curiosity, yeah. I, being engaged is a good thing, and that's why too. Like way back when I still was teaching high school, and if I had grade twelves, and there was an election going on, they say, "Well, who are you going to vote for?" And like. I, like I'm gonna vote, yeah. As should you, and yeah. I I don't care which party you vote for. Yeah. The thing that I do care about, I don't want you to vote blindly. No, like, yeah. One of the things that I am sorry about is that we have political parties beside candidates' names, and that we oh. even have candidates' names. Yeah. I wish there there's something called um, political compass, and it's a series of questions. These are the issues. These are the, the parties' platforms. I wish that everyone would just simply fill in a poll tracker. Uh, or not a poll, sorry, a policy tracker. Yeah. This this policy is this important to me and this is which of the five options, six options I like the best. I love that. Up. I've never heard of that. That's that's Be- great. Because that system of voting would actually mean, because, and this is my understanding of Steinbeck, we vote conservative no matter what. Yeah. The fact is Steinbeck's not a conservative voting town. Hmm. If, they, if they actually voted politically for the things, the way they live, they wouldn't vote conservative, as I understand the Conservative Party. That's interesting. And Can you expound I, a bit more on that? Sure. Uh, the the because um, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, "Hold up, what are you well, talking about?" But yeah, <laughs> the, the the biggest thing that the Conservatives have going in in Steinbeck, it seems to me, is their social conservatism. Okay, yeah, and that has an appeal to a variety of people. We have a fairly strong and large Catholic community, mm-hmm. so if you say, "I'm going to fight abortion," they're in. Yeah, yeah. We have a fairly strong Mennonite contingent, 
Likewise, you say you're going to fight abortion and oppose same-sex marriage. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Well, those are actually total non-issues. No party's doing anything about that. No. There will always be abortion. There will always be same-sex marriage. And they've been established in Canadian law for it, and and decades. it's and been established by every party. Yeah. We're not actually changing any of that. Even Shear said that he yeah. that he won't touch it. And and so, if that's not what I'm voting for, yeah. then what am I voting for? Yeah. Most of the uh, people who live in Steinbeck come from immigrant descent. Yeah. Are either very recent immigrants and are very grateful to be here. <laughs> so if immigration is actually important, then what are the policies that are most immigration friendly? Yeah. Uh, if I talked about healthcare and education, those for me are very high on the list of what, what matters. Uh, so if you actually, if you voted by policies and had that recorded and then those votes went in, the things that matter in Steinbeck are not, don't appear in the policies of the people for whom they vote. Fascinating, yeah. Um, But but we have this mythology. Yeah. If if I'm this person, if I live here, if I believe this, then I must vote this way. Well, no. (laughs) Actually, actually no. Yeah. And and we would vote, the results of our our elections, I believe, would be quite different. That's fascinating. I I really like that. It it is a weird sort of like, yeah, I live here and I'm going to blazon this logo on my chest whether I know the policies or not. what it means. And it's it's weird to think because you've you've often said this to me, and I I've, haven't looked into it as much as I like, but it seems to be true. Uh, but the fact that if you are not wealthy, then why are you voting conservative? Exactly. But there seems to be at least around here some level of conservative equals good for the poor, or or tax breaks somehow equal good for the poor, or you know which what I mean? Ex- yeah, exactly. Which is just inconceivable to me. Yeah. And and then I hear people talk. Oh well, you know that Trudeau really messed up the the national debt. I think. Do you have any concept about where the debt comes from? Like, I mean, Mulroney and Harper did that. Yeah. I mean, of course, of course, Trudeau added to the debt. Yeah. As everyone has been doing deficits. Sure. Except for Paul Martin, who brought it under control. Yeah. Who was a liberal, not a conservative. <laughs> but he's a piece of shit, obviously. Obviously, he's a liberal. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, like, the things you say, and I had a conversation with an intelligent adult the other day who was just mm-hmm. adamant. No, the deficit is Trudeau's pro- He made the entire deficit. But were we not in a deficit before he arrived? Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, you ever read? Yeah. Uh, as a teacher. So of course he doesn't. I mean <laughs> he's too busy preparing classes of and working. That's so, fascinating to me. Yeah. But it, but that to me was a horrifying notion. Yeah. The 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 glib willingness to blame things on the other party. Yeah. And that's what you don't even know the other party. You don't even know your own party. Yeah. Uh, like so why are you voting for them? And that's what's like absolutely vote. But figure out like what it yeah. is that's actually important to you, and then vote that way. Especially when a lot of people that are voting for conservatives, if many of, many of the times the reason is because they're uh, financially conservative, or or they think that somehow that will help them because they're in a certain bracket uh, of income, even though oftentimes the conservatives want to slash a lot of social funding, which typically benefits people in lower classes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but for many of them, they're like, well, I'm not that poor. That, that, that I, I'd rather, somehow trickle-down economics seems to come into play where they're like, well, if there's a tax cut for the corporation, that will then work its way into my pocket by making my bananas cheaper. Yeah, because <laughs> trickle-down economics has been demonstrated to work so well for so long. Wasn't that Ronald Reagan? No. Well, it's actually before before that. There's yeah. uh, uh, an economist. What's his name? Oh, I just, just heard his name. Uh, 
whatever. But doesn't Ron, matter. Yeah. Ron, Ronald Reagan in the U.S. is certainly the guy who 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 started pushing in a certain yeah. direction. The, the sort of the adoption of Anne Rand, oh, uh, like yeah, Atlas yeah, yeah. Shrugged and and, yeah. and and that sort of bullshit. <laughs> um, I've never actually read. I've heard it's very difficult to read, but I've never actually read. And it. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I, I try to read stuff that I even if I think going in that. I'm not, not don't know what, like I don't think there's going to be anything useful here. Yeah. But I want to see what where people are coming from. Like, sure. why is it that we have? Because the fact is, the liberals and conservatives aren't so different. No, yeah, they're they're least of all here. Yeah, wasn't it? Exactly. I think it was Paul, maybe so, or someone had shared something on Facebook, kind of showing one of those kind of quadrant charts where it kind of oh, yeah. tracked the parties. All the parties are blue. Yeah, they're they're all way <laughs> conservative. Yeah, the, the the only party that isn't totally conservative is the Green Party, but they're already in the conservative spectrum yeah. too. Wasn't there? I feel like there was one in the the opposite corner, what but, was but just barely into it. Yeah, I don't um, remember what that was. And and so it, it, exactly, our parties are pretty much yeah. the same. It's very uh, similar in Britain too, isn't it? Yeah, Where, it is. Yeah. In, in most in most you know democratic societies, there's yeah. not. We, we have the pretense of of, of difference. Yeah, uh, and, and then we some of us think, oh yeah, we're really different because we have an liberals aisle in the middle. So <laughs> different than conservatives, <laughs> and conservatives are so different than liberals. Cause, yeah, because we are. Yeah. <laughs> that's right that is that are. is super interesting and I find myself in a, in a unique situation because in most of my interactions with people I am probably the only quote unquote liberal right but I get along with everybody as if that doesn't matter and I can have conversations I disagree and that that's fine uh, or I agree like there are things that <laughs> there, there should be no line there right but I've heard many people that I that I interact with and they're like oh it's just f- fucking liberals or, oh, exactly. or whatever as if or not even the party but just like they're basically shitting on liberal ideals and yeah. I'm just like well that's actually how we live yeah Canada actually is liberal the only time that 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 there isn't a liberal government in Canada is when there's a poor liberal leader or and I, who is this Brian Jansen just told me about this what was the other other option uh when it when it's a reaction against you know the, the liberals have been government for sixteen years yeah. okay so it's, let's let's have a change shake things up <laughs> yeah. okay so then a conservative comes in for one term maybe two I mean Harper was in a long time at ten years yeah and everybody hated him the whole time he was in he had a minority government for a while and he prorogued parliament I mean he was absolutely unethical and horrible uh, as a leader easy to forget though uh, exactly like yeah. he was the most disrespectful of democracy and of Canadians of any prime minister ever and the number of times I see people posting oh. Harper was the best prime minister we ever had. Like, by what measure? Yeah. Like, I don't care what policies of his you liked or didn't like or whose other policies you don't <laughs> like, but like, what about this totally disrespectful person? Yeah. He absolutely would not work with anyone when he had a minority government. Uh, a minority government is the best options we have. Yeah. And I think about the best governance that I've encountered in Manitoba was when... Um, the Conservatives had a minority under Gary Philman, and he had to work with Gary Dewar and Sharon, Sharon Carstairs. Oh, okay. And those three parties all worked together. And amazingly, during that time, good stuff happened for Manitobans. What was that, early 2000s, Gary Dewar? Uh, that might have been even earlier. It might have been okay. in the 90s. Because I remember, I, I, of those people, I'm familiar with the name Gary Dewar, because he at one point he, was he, premier, He lasted right? long, right? He, he became yeah. the, the NDP premier yeah. after, after that and was premier for a very long and time. In my immature mind, the word Dewar probably just sticks yeah. in my brain. But anyway, well, well, exactly, <laughs> for sure. And, and it worked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's what I think of for government. If minorities are by far the best, which we were going to have if Trudeau would have implemented the election reform, getting rid of first past the post, which was one of his electoral promises. What does that mean again? It mean, Right now we have first past the post. If you, uh, riding by riding, 
if you if you have the most votes, you're the representative. Oh. So as a for instance, 37% of Canadians voted liberal. We had a liberal majority of how many seats? Like, but that was spread through enough ridings that we the liberals had a significant majority in, in parliament with 37% of the vote. Huh. How does a party that has 37% of the population voting for it get 70% of the seats? Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. So the, no, the notion of, of electoral reform that was being spoken about by the liberals and by many others before that um, was proportional representation. You go by popular vote. Right now in the latest poll that CBC talked about, the uh Liberals have 34%, uh, conservatives 33%, and blah, 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 blah. Well, the 10 to 12% support that the Greens have had has translated into one seat, yeah. and now two. <laughs> but like federally? The, yeah, okay. federally. Yeah. Whereas the NDP at 17% had like 40 seats in Quebec. Well, um, how do you get 12% support across the country, 17%? One seat, yeah. 40 seats. So, but for, first past the poll, I, I'm still trying to figure that because I, uh, bear in mind, I'm fairly for, uh, you know, for an almost 30 year old man, I'm shockingly ignorant when it comes to Canadian politics, but I'm, I'm trying to learn uh, slowly but surely over the last several weeks have been a little bit more engaged. Um, but so by first past the poll, uh, dumb it down for me. What, what, what exactly does that mean? It means that in, uh, uh, in the Steinbach riding, yeah. whoever gets the most votes is going to be elected in to represent that that particular party. As opposed to what? What? How? As opposed to there being a slate of these are the these are the conservative candidates for Manitoba. These are the liberal candidates for Manitoba. How many people in Manitoba are voting for this party? This party? This party? Uh, and so, based on the percentage of the vote, uh, when the vote is broken down, uh, what do we have in Manitoba? Eleven seats. Uh, if if some, is it eleven? Eight, ten. I think it might be eight, eight something like that. But so anyways, however yeah. many seats it happens to mm-hmm. be, if there are forty percent uh, of the Manitoban voters are voting, then forty percent of the representatives. So if there's, let's make it ten for easy math. Yeah, four seats are are going to be for that party, huh. and and if there's seventeen percent support, they get two seats, and so uh, it's and so now who's just who's the order of whom your candidates are going to be? Yeah. Uh, and so if that were the case, of course, some people would never get in regardless of their party color or <laughs> yeah. the, the town that they're from. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but then you'd have representation to the interests of the voting populace. Yeah. As opposed to, well, we want more seats. So we want more ridings. Because like in Alberta, for example, someone asked me about polls. In Alberta, like they're huge. There's a huge imbalance towards the conservatives in Alberta in the same way the Maritimes have a big shift towards liberals in terms of seats occupied. No. Okay. But the fact is you don't have 90% of Albertans voting conservative. All you need is more in one riding. Uh-huh. And if 37% vote conservative, but only 35% vote liberal, yeah. the conservatives winning. Uh-huh. So suddenly we have all these seats that are, so Alberta is painted as a conservative place. It isn't as conservative it's more purple as than, that title suggests, yeah, yeah. would seem to suggest. Huh. Um, the Maritimes isn't as liberal as the 32 out of 32 seats would suggest. Yeah. Because actually there's a lot of really close races. Sure. And and so if if we'd have proportional representation in parliament, we would uh, have we would have parties, you know, thankfully the Christian Heritage Party would still have zero seats. <laughs> regardless of I didn't realize it was a party. Oh, it is. But so then 
Okay, so again, bear with me. So then, uh, say in Alberta, um, if thirty five percent or thirty seven percent in one riding over thirty five percent, then that would equate to how many seats they have in federal government, not whether they won the riding or not. Is what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. The, the province would have a list of, of your candidates, if yeah. your preferred candidates, and so if you're getting four four candidates out of that, who are your top four conservative choices? Okay. Yeah. Because so for I I. I mean, I know Ted Falk's name because he's my riding, right? Yeah. So I, I know I, I don't know the names of other conservatives <laughs> who might have lost to somebody. Like, I'm assuming Churchill voted somebody from the NDP. Yeah, know? I imagine. Uh, and so I don't know who the conservative there is. But what if the Conservative Party of Manitoba says that, hey, that person who was running in Churchill has this, 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 and this to offer and is really a super strong political candidate? Yeah. Then... We're going to put that person in rank number one. So if we're going to send four people from Manitoba, that's the first person to go. Uh, and so only if we win 100% of the votes do all the conservative candidates go. So interesting. You, so you still have, you know, your your candidates, but but it's, it's it, it, it actually ends up being more a representation of Canadians, mm-hmm. which fancy that it's a Canadian federal government. <laughs> Can you imagine if we represented Canadians in the Canadian And it government? would probably end up being less partisan would it not because you're not working just purely on ridings and party versus party it would kind of be it would still be party versus party but it would be like the percentage will be closer so people could see that we're really not so different well you get rid of the bullshit conversations oh alberta separatism is growing now because <laughs> uh we hate justin trudeau and yeah. we're going to separate and we talked about problems. that on the show too because and, i saw that story and it made me laugh I'm yeah like, okay see ya and <laughs> and then i mean quebec hasn't talked about separation for quite a long time uh, so that, I mean, they've gotten over it yeah uh, and so <laughs> You're right. Like if the liberals don't always win, because I mean they did before the Bloc Québécois were around. Yeah. But it's it's if you actually have people talking about what are the issues for Canada, because the fact is that the marketing boards, the dairy marketing subsidies for Quebec, impact the rest of Canada as well. Yeah. Uh, I read way too often. Oh, if you like Alberta oil and gas, click support or click like here. <laughs> I don't like Alberta oil and gas. I like Canada. Yeah. How do we function as Canada? Without consideration of provincial boundaries, like suddenly saying, "Oh, I, I'm, I'm Manitoba. And I, I, all I care about is Manitoba issues." Yeah, I, I'm Canadian. Click what? if you like Manitoba Hydro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, that that doesn't work for no. me. And saying we have to keep we have to keep Albertans in jobs. Uh, yeah, but let's keep them in decent jobs. Yeah, the world market and demand for oil is diminishing. Yeah, let's not be blind. Yeah, we can't support an oil field that isn't supported by the world market. Yeah. Without so, subsidies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's be intelligent about this. So what do we do? Yeah. And not protect Alberta because we're Alberta proud. <laughs> yeah. It seems, just, it's yeah. Just, or we're Manitoba proud or Saskatchewan proud or Ontario proud. Like, Don't be. Yeah. It's, be the, it's, the, it's the equivalent to, to kind of the coal industry being such a minority thing in the U.S. I don't know if there even is a thing in Canada very much. But yeah, there's, it's virtually non-existent, the number of people nationally in the U.S. that, that mine coal, work in coal, deal with coal. Yeah. But we're going to save those jobs because we're all about hardworking Appalachian workers, right? But like vote for us. Exactly. But like that, it's the same thing. It <laughs> is. It, and it's foolishness. It's complete yeah. foolishness, I think. And, 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 and it's also, as soon as we're small-minded, I'm only going to think about Alberta yeah. interests. Oh, I'm only going to think about Calgary interests. <laughs> oh, well, I'm only going to think about Black Diamond District yeah. 1 in Calgary. Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I'm only going to think about First Street. Yeah, like, it's very easy to zoom into yourself, right? Yeah. I'm just going to worry about my own garage, right? Exactly, and yeah. it's super selfish and doesn't work. And lends itself to xenophobia very easily. Oh, oh exactly, because you know who lives on Second Street. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see... Yeah, smell the food that they're making, man. That's too different. Yeah, you know it's craziness. It's, Probably tastes great, but man, yeah. does it look funny. <laughs> and that to me is just is blindness. And yeah. So I, I cringe every time I hear, you know, we've got to protect Manitoba jobs or Alberta or Ontario or anybody's jobs. Yeah. No, we don't. No. We need to. We need to work within Canada. Stop protecting stuff yeah. and start thinking and working together and collaborating. When we collaborate, we can actually find ways. Like Weird. We, we actually are super intelligent people. Yeah. And when greed comes into play, yeah, but I want my, and, and I, I heard it, this is also a, a, a sad statement, um, conversation I overheard was uh, among teachers who are very afraid of with the education review that's happening in Manitoba now, how many jobs will be lost because Pallister is, is heading in the direction of Doug Ford in, in Ontario and they slashed, I don't know how many teachers jobs and so if Manitoba slashes Let's choose a number of thousand teaching jobs. How many of those teachers' jobs are going to come from Hanover? Yeah, a number. But how how do you justify that? I don't get it. In in what universe does that make sense? None. Yeah. But making sense and political action don't have I guess. to fit in the but, same but who, sentence. What voting public sees we're going to cut teachers and healthcare and suddenly thinks that that is helpful? I don't get it. I agree. That doesn't make any sense to <laughs> Maybe me. Maybe I'm the crazy one, but it yeah, literally doesn't make Clearly sense you to are. me. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, exactly. Anyways, but, continue your point. Well, and I heard a person say, yeah, but like how many $90,000 a year jobs are out there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you do this job because you get paid $90,000 a year? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. That's a reason to do a job, I suppose. Yeah. But man, wouldn't it be great if you were an educator? Weird. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be great if you actually thought you had something to offer yeah. the classroom? That's a lot less important than worrying about your retirement, though. Well, wow. and I and I get it. I mean, I I, I speak from a, what a position of privilege, right? I'm retired, and I sure. have a pension, and yeah. and and all that. So whatever Pallister does, he's not going to roll back yeah. my life. Although he could, because the Manitoba government, although it was the NDP government, they didn't pay in. Like they're supposed to match teachers' retirement payments or whatever. Okay, and they didn't for years. So suddenly uh. there's a huge backlog, and and that was one of the issues with the previous NDP governments in Manitoba is suddenly they had to make this huge payment just to catch up yeah. uh, to the teacher's retirement fund. So, yeah. So, I mean, the conservative government could say, hey, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Isn't that the same that thing that bankrupted Detroit or, or similar system, at least? Yeah. Yeah. Their, their, their pensions were a little bit higher. I mean, yeah. if teachers here are talking about making $90,000 $90, a year, the, the line workers were making $75 an hour. Yeah. That's <laughs> not sustainable. No, like you no, can't be doing not. that. And and then when you're looking at matching, so I mean, there, there's absolutely room. So like, where's the level? Like, where's the cutoff? Right? Yeah. It's that's why we need to collaborate. None of this. Oh, I'm just going to protect teachers no matter what. Yeah. Teachers need to be taken care of. I don't care about the rest. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. I'm just a person in Manitoba. I yeah, I want to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. I want you taken care of too. Likewise. Yeah. Um, I want my neighbor to be taken care of. Who's I don't know what their job is. Like yeah. one of them, one of them works with crop insurance. Like they deserve a life too. Yeah, and and I'm happy for them to have one. But we we have to work at this together as opposed to in opposition or in conflict. I'm going to protect mine. <laughs> so if I'm lucky enough to have a stronger union than you, yeah. I'm going to be fine. And it sucks to be you. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so short sighted. It just in general. Uh, again, I'm not super well versed with with many of the cuts and whatever else. But it it seems to me that many of these things are totally focused on, especially 
leading up to the provincial election to, you know, rally the troops and say, we're going to cut this, we're going to cut this, and look at our budget. Look how well we're doing. We're doing so good. We're almost in the in the black. Yeah. But, like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, as, when you're destroying everything around as you. As far as I'm concerned, like, that's what taxes are for. Like, we, everyone, for some reason, especially around here, taxes are such a dirty, evil, dangerous word that, like, you know, someone says tax and they just cringe and spit, right? <laughs> like, and they keep saying, things like, well, if we ran this on a business model, this just shouldn't work. Well, I'm sorry. Schools aren't a business no, model. No, Kids' no. lives, investments, that's not a business model. We're dealing with humanity here. Yep. Healthcare, it's not a business model. No. You don't know how many people are going to be sick. You don't know yep. how, how big is the flu epidemic going to be this year. It's, it's not a business model. And it's, it's way too fluctuating. It's not based on yeah. open market, that type of stuff. Exactly. It's, and even even running a community, like there's a lot of talk right now about how will Steinbach get money to keep the pool operating. So can we go to Hanover and charge Hanover more money or to become partners in running the pool? I think the pool is not a business model either. Yeah. The pool is a service you provide for your community. Yeah. You do something, you decide what's the quality of life we want in our community, and then you tax people. Yeah. And say, this is the community we're going to build, This is and this is how we're going to build our community. These are the services that we provide. And we're not measuring, yeah. is this a good tax model? No. How much did we have to spend on pool staff this year? Well, you spent money on pool staff because it's nice to have a lifeguard <laughs> yeah. if you have a pool, and then do it. Yeah. Because this is a service you're providing to make the quality of life in Steinbeck better. Yeah. We have so many people who use the pool. Awesome. Yeah. Don't put that on a business model. No. Uh, like, it, it just doesn't work. And yet, I couldn't count the number of people who I forever keep hearing, oh, well, how would that work if that was a business model? Like, yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Why do you think it should be a business model? Are you a startup? <laughs> yeah. And are you going to run your family on a business model? Okay, my kid isn't bringing in enough money. I'm picking them out. Like, what? It's there's no business model that 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 has room for kids. Yeah, that's awfully close to socialism, yeah. Mark. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most of life is. And that, hold up, we're getting long, but I, I have nowhere to be. So as long as you don't have to leave anytime soon, we can dig into this. Um, why is socialism bad, Mark? Why do people think it's bad? I don't. I don't get it. Especially in the U.S., it, it's many things in life are socialist. Um, but I don't see why that's an issue. Not like the Nazi type of socialism sounds terrible, but like I don't, I don't what get they it. did wasn't socialism either. No, maybe not. But just but, the term but, that but, they but use. But that's it, I guess. it. You need to find an enemy. Yeah. Uh, you always have to have an enemy. So if the just enemy like could be socialism, and, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you call them communists too, so they're our enemy. Okay, so the problem is that they're our enemy, and they're called communists. So now anything that's <laughs> communist is bad. Yeah. And and socialism and communism are the same thing. Uh, well, no, they're not. And on top of which what was going on in, in Russia, in the Soviet Union, in China, isn't communism or socialism. Oh. There are elements there of, of it, for certain, as there are in Canada. Canada is a very socialist country. We yeah. have healthcare. We have education. We have lots of things that are... We have roads that you don't have to pay to drive Weird. on. Fire departments, police departments. Exactly, yeah. and they'll service the problems. Yeah. So so we're very socialistic. And, and the reality is that much of the United States is too. Totally. But during the the red uh, red scare days, all the McCarthyism. When when, when you want to ramp up fear and you want to mobilize a populace, fear is the best tool to mobilize a populace, and so you create create things to be afraid of. Uh, and so they have this long standing history of oh, communism and socialism. That's the bad guys. And so we any anything that smacks of that, and and I have no idea what that is, but I'm going to just hate <laughs> it and be and be against it. Yeah. And it's and it's that. And and unfortunately, too often the people who are trying to counter it are trying to counter it in in very reactionary ways like yeah uh, 
why not explain like what are we doing in, in, in a logical reasonable fashion but that doesn't fit into the bipartisan hatefulness <laughs> that we're so good at okay so i'm good. not going to listen to you because you're a democrat i'm yeah. not gonna, well, sure not listening to you republicans so <laughs> i'm not listening to anyone i'm just going to be dumb <laughs> and i love it oh yeah awesome. well, randy's back look at him the prodigal son has returned oh wonderful. Awesome. welcome back fatherhood's a wonderful thing <laughs> tell you. i wouldn't know but i'll take your word for it i'm sure you heard defcon 6 going on up there so <laughs> yeah there's some sort of siren or, or oh, something yeah. Oh, yeah. alarm bells yeah it's a good time uh here yeah well welcome back well, thank um, you. we're just talking about how socialism is good or bad i hear that we're, we're unsure <laughs> but like i've always felt like it sounds good i don't know like it, 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 at least I don't know, without the negative, whatever the hell people are talking about. As far as I'm concerned, in my experience with our so- socialistic community, it seems to be working pretty well. I'm kind of okay with it. I don't know. But it's, it's a matter of whom you encounter and whether or not it's to their benefit that yeah. you like it or don't. Sure. And like so this is another area where Canada is very different than our neighbors to the south. Uh, the word socialism doesn't scare Canadians. Not, not at least, not most. Not most. Right. It's, yeah. it's the ones who are now delving and wanting to be Republicans. Yeah. Like... Th- yeah, they they've adopted. They don't know why, but they've adopted. <laughs> it's a buzzword down there, so it yeah, must be. So it must yeah. be here too. Yeah. If we're gonna if we're gonna act like Republicans, we've got to hate socialism. Yeah, uh, and we'll just hate. Well, actually, hate everything. <laughs> it is way easier that way. You don't have to discriminate. You just hate it all. Yeah, that is way easier. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, sure, <laughs> ignorance is. is bliss, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah seems and, to be and hateful. Yeah, sure is. Anyways, 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 we touched on a lot of, of really deep things while you were gone, Randy. Mm-hmm. My I brain. imagine. My so brain. now we can talk about all the shallow stuff. There you go. That's, that's what I'm good for, right? Yeah. <laughs> knock, knock jokes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, we can start. I'm trying to think. Is there anything else I want to bring up? Randy, was there anything you wanted to bring up since you're back to, to Mark? Mark Nothing to Mark? in particular, no. My brain's kind of fried from taking care of the kids, so totally we can sort of carry on. And I hear you. No, that's fine. Thing. We can start dialing it down then. Um, as always, or for the last couple of weeks, we have an idiot of the week we want to talk about. Um, and after that, we'll have a Canadian hero of the week. But first off, our idiot of the week is um, scientists decided to try and make a knife out of frozen poop. I don't know if I- <laughs> Exactly. I, I was looking today just to try to find some sort of idiot story. And the minute I saw that, it made my day and I had to talk about it. So... Um, Folks, um, yeah. So apparently, it doesn't work very well to make knives out of your poop. You don't say. No matter how, no matter what you eat, because <laughs> there apparently there's a there's an Inuit story. Um, I don't know when, um, in which uh, a man was kicked out of his village, and instead of going along with his family, no, the the family was moving away from the village, and he didn't want to go. So then he decided to stay behind without any of his tools. So he, uh, the the urban legend or perhaps truth, I don't know, right. um, is that he fashioned a knife out of his poop, uh, which was frozen, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be terribly useless. But And then he killed a dog, made a sled out of the ribs and bones and whatever else, and then tied it to another dog or something, and then went off into the bush and lived. Save a tool, that's one resourceful man right there. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so anthropologists decided to test it out. Um, and they were using dry ice, uh, and it still didn't work, shockingly. There's some pictures here. It's uh, uh, gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of this. So they, they tried to reverse engineer a blade out of feces to, to test it. So congratulations to uh, some Canadian. Oh, it was a Canadian book-inspired Metin Eren. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Hmm. Um, anyways, anyways, so we'll, we'll give them the Idiot of the Week award for, for making knives out of poop. And it did not work. So that's if it had worked, would it have been idi- idiocy? I don't know. 
Well, that's the old saying, right? It ain't stupid if it works, right? <laughs> yeah. If it's if it's stupid and works, it isn't stupid. Yep. Anyway, so congratulations to uh, Mitin Aaron, anthropologist making uh, poop knives. We w- <laughs> continuing on. Our, uh, <laughs> I feel bad bringing up a Canadian hero after uh, poop knives, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, as to uh, Mark and I, when we were talking earlier about um, kind of women and and how we we can still take steps to do better, mm-hmm. which we have progressed, but. But like you say, we, we can still do better. It's kind of serendipitous that I had chosen a lady as our Canadian Ooh. Hero of the Week, which is a first for the Two Idiots podcast, but hopefully not the last. Her name is Hannah Gale. Um, she was originally British, but she grew up in, in Canada, and she was actually the first Canadian uh, woman to hold political office in Canada in 1917, I believe it was. So... She had, she was, she actually completed, and she would have been able to get into Oxford, but in that time, women were not allowed to go to Oxford, so she mm. was technically qualified, but not allowed. <clears throat> so then she moved to Canada with her family, and and eventually ran for um, public office in Calgary. She was important. Uh, she played an important role in women's suffrage, which I've always hated the word suffrage. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. But it might be appropriate because they have to suffer a lot from the idiocy of the men. I guess we, we're good at that. To get their we're, vote. we're very good at that. Yeah, I just hate the word. It sounds yeah. bad. Um, anyways, it's technically, I guess, a, a good thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so she, uh, yeah, she was a, a pretty a prominent figure in women's rights and. Uh, kind of furthering that cause. So she won a civic election in Calgary to the city council, or alderman, yeah, for, uh, for civic election. So she became the first woman and possibly the first in the British Commonwealth to be elect- elected to a position in any level of government, which is mind-blowing. 1917, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. I don't know how long the empire was valid, 100 years by then, probably. And uh, they had yet to have a woman. So who rock Canada? Um, I guess tangentially British, but... We'll uh, we'll give her the Canadian Hero of the uh, of the Week award, I guess. Uh, good job, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah. So I mean, she, there's like like you said, there's still many many steps that we can take, but that's uh, she was she was an important figure in that fight for suffrage, as bad of a word as that is. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so. I don't know, Mark. Was there anything that you wanted to uh, to plug or to talk about? I know we had mentioned your Manitoba to Ecuador and your your tour trip. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to bring up or discuss while while we have you here. Anything that comes to mind? Uh, well, our Manitoba to Ecuador fundraising, October eighteenth, Friday, October eighteenth. We're having a fundraising dinner in Mitchell. If you're interested, contact me, and I think you said you're going to have the way of doing that. Totally. I sit here. Then way off in the future, in the spring, on May third, we are going to be at the Whitetail Meadow flea market which is just west of uh niverville okay uh, and uh we're going to be there with uh, ecuadorian artisanal products uh scarves blankets capes um pants vests jackets chess boards chess board? uh, jewelry what's a chess board chess Again, oh like chess it's not <laughs> a chess board chest board. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll try to bring those as well uh, just for for good, get capes and chessboards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're going to be selling all that stuff. Oh, hammocks as well, that sort of stuff. Perfect. We'll be selling that to, to continue to raise money. And then that very next Friday, Matt Funk is doing a show for us. Oh, fantastic. And that'll Perfect. be most likely, well, it will be in Steinbach 
and tickets will go on sale on sale probably friend of the show matt falk that's fantastic exactly yes and and he's he's done a show for us before he's a big believer and supporter of education that's who i saw him first at i think was one of your one of your events yeah he's awesome he's so much fun he's delightful yeah awesome no it's good that's a good deal thank you is there anything um i don't know if you want people to find you on social media it's up to you you don't have to sure my on on facebook my on is mark reimer and, but there, I know there are seven Mark Reimers in Steinbach, so I don't know how many Mark <laughs> only, Reimers there are. Only seven? Only seven. Well, wow. that's just Steinbach. Uh, and so the picture that's t- beside my name is of a fat Jesus. There's a Colombian artist who does only fat people as subjects. I love him. He's my favorite artist. <laughs> because you might not know this, but I'm really fat. I'm sorry, I like fat things. And uh, so the Mark Reimer with the fat Jesus picture is me. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well uh, as MarkHenry61. Um, that's probably it for social media. Perfect. Awesome. Well, check awesome. him out. Um, yeah, he likes to travel around and, and help people and, you know, be a good person as controversial as that may be to some people. 